Welcome guys to another episode of the All Ears Podcast with me, Luke Barnett. We're on location again. We're still in Manchester. I've done a couple here. It's been great. But it's beautiful setup, beautiful place, great back backdrop, uh, top of the tower. I'm chill today. My voice is destroyed because I've been doing podcasts, commentated five, six hours yesterday, and, and I had a few beers as well. Uh, so i got a bit of a reaction podcast today. It's the first time I've kind of done one of these straight away. We had a crazy weekend at Octagon and there was uh, some stuff that went on with my guests. So I want to bring that in and talk about it and get deep on that because uh, it's, it's pretty mental. So we'll get get going, but we'll start getting to know a little bit about him. Uh, Shem, what's been harder for you? Being on the run from the police for 10 years or missing out on this fire the weekend that just happened? You think that's because it's right now, or you? Being on the run for ten years, I had to be disciplined. Um, it was hard not seeing my family. That was the hardest part about it. But it just happened so quick. Like I never thought I'd be more than two weeks on the run, and before I knew it, the time had passed, and it had been ten years. Where this lad feels like a knife in my heart, lad. Like I've done everything to get to the fight, and I didn't get to fight. Biggest fight in my career. And then I'm sitting in the crowd watching everyone else fight. I think watching me mate Dennis lose as well made it a bit bitter for me as well. Oh, yeah. I, I think it, realistically, lad, not seeing your family for 10 years is harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, like I said, not, people might not know the, the situation or the story, so we'll talk a little bit about it. Yeah. I don't know that much either. So how come you said you might be only on the run for two weeks and then where did you go what was the reasons behind it and then where did you end up and why did it end up being 10 years rather than such a quick time so fucking hell you have to go back um i was obviously scouser from a council estate i grew up a little bastard school weren't really for me always in and out of trouble started selling drugs when i was like 12. um when I was young, Liverpool for me was the best place in the world and there was nowhere else I wanted to go. I'd never left really Liverpool. So when you've got that closed mentality of this is this is everything and, and I don't know nothing else. Everyone around me who knew who was successful was a gangbanger, a drug dealer. They had the nice cars, they had the watches. I just wanted to be like them, lad. I wanted to not fucking be broke and just have money, lad. And obviously started off selling a bit of weed it snowballs and it gets worse and as i'm living that lifestyle this is why sometimes like i believe what happened to me was meant to happen to me because as i'm living that lifestyle i ended up going on the run for a crime that i never committed but i was a criminal and i was committing crimes so i feel like that was what i had to pay for the bad things that i'd done almost like karma i was wanted for the aggravated burglary when I was eight, 18 and 19, um, me, me cousin, he, he done five years in jail for it. He, he got arrested for the crime. Um, they, they had someone hold, holding drugs for them and the lad robbed the drugs and went missing. And then they, they broke into the lad's house, found him and beat the ball. Okay. And um, he got, they obviously when police come, there's no drugs there, nothing happened, but he got nicked for that aggravated burglary. And he, he pled guilty, he done five years in jail. Well, after he got arrested, two weeks later, the lad's gone back to the police station and give a statement in to say I was there as well. And then obviously, now I'm wanted. Um, obviously, that was my cousin. Me and him are like close, he's my right-hand man. He's obviously thinking, 
he's in fear for his life if I'm still on the streets. So he flew me under the bus mm. with the mud, you know what I mean? Okay, that makes and sense. And I didn't do that crime, but I was committing crimes actively. I was out there every day doing madness. So he knew, lad, like, if I stayed out and my cousin was in jail. It, Something was going to Yeah, happen. it would have been on, lad. So it was almost like a survival mechanism for him. Instead of lying to the police, he was trying to protect himself. Probably. Yeah, yeah. He's still a rat, lad, because he went to the police. <laughs> yeah, he's still a rat, lad. He went into the witness protection and relocated them, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is how much of a rat he is. While he was in witness protection, he got arrested for doing a burglary himself and ended up going to jail and landed on the wing with all the lads. No way. But well, that's I mean, another story. I mean, that was rough, mate. I mean, yeah, he never had it nice, let me tell you. Yeah. Deserves it, deserves it. Yeah, it, definitely. That, that's mental. But to go back, um, I've, I've ended up getting on the phone to my cousin and he's like, lad, I've been nicked, I'm in jail, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what, no way, he's told me what's happened, whatever. I'm still getting about doing me little bits of grafting, doing what I shouldn't be. And um, I got arrested on, on the back of a motorbike. We had no license, we took chase. We, we was on a police chase for about six hours. Um, the helicopter come out and was chasing us. And when the helicopter had run out of petrol, they'd bring another helicopter and send that one back. So wow. eventually, lad, our bike just broke down. We, we, we were filling up petty as we were riding, but eventually the bike just gave out, and I got nicked. And because um, I was on the back, I'm like, I'd, I'll just get bailed. Me, me mate will just get a driving offence because he took the chase. And then when I'd been nicked, they were like, um, yeah, um, we're, we're nicking you for an aggravated burglary. And I was like, lad, I was a drug dealer, bro. I, like, I either robbed drug dealers or sold drugs. I never done a burglary in my life. I never robbed a citizen. I never harmed a, a normal civilian like that that way in my graft. And um, I'm like, aggravated burglary? What? And then obviously when they come in and they come with the evidence, my solicitor's there, then I knew what it was then. I was like, what? They give me bail for that crime. I've been bailed from the police station. I'm walking home from the police station. My phone rings. I've answered my phone. It's my solicitor. And my solicitor goes, um, the police have made a mistake. They were supposed to remand you into custody. We need you to come back to the police station now. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, love. <laughs> um, I've literally went 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 to my mum's house, packed my stuff, slept for three hours, woke up at six in the morning, and then I've decided like I'm I'm, I'm not going to jail for a crime I haven't committed. I had no, I had no faith in the police or the criminal justice system to do me justice and that I would not get found guilty. In my mind, I was like, if I am myself in, I'm going to jail, don't pass go, don't collect 200 pounds, you're getting found guilty, they're gonna see fucking this young lad with a big fucking criminal record and they're gonna go, yeah, see you later, mate. So I ran, lad, obviously, being young, a little bit scared and that, I'd never been to jail at that point. So I went, I never even had the passport. I had to get a passport, which was another another hard job. I sorted that. <laughs> and then I went, I decided to go on the run. I got the train from Liverpool straight to London. From London, I got the Eurostar to France. And this, this, is, like, this is a mad part of the story because I'm, I'm in the queue waiting to get on the Eurostar. And there was two queues. <clears throat> As I'm watching the front of the queue, because I'm like that, 
thinking, oh, this is where I'm going to get caught here. I'm watching this fella scan people's passport and then print the ticket off. And I'm thinking, they scan this passport now, it's going to flag up. So I'm thinking, fuck. And lad, something just told me, go to the other fella. So I mean, like, jumped in the other queue. The other queue was taking longer. This one was going quicker. Jumped in the other queue. And when I got to the front, he said, get your passport, mate. I've given me passport. And he just went, printed me to hit off and give me it. Didn't even scan me passport. So it was just like, nice. Got on the train. I'm sitting on the Eurostar to go to France. I've never even I've never even been on a Eurostar before, so I didn't know what, what was going to happen. I'm thinking, is this going to stop at the border? There's going to be a border check. Next minute, a few hours later, bing, get off, you're in France. And I was like, wow, that was actually well easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that hard for anyone who wants to go on the run. <laughs> Eurostar's the way. Yeah. I don't know about now. This was fucking 10 years ago. Um, so then, yeah, I was in, I was in France. Then I booked me flights from France then to, to go to Asia. Because I knew, like, if, I, if I'm in Asia, it's going to be a lot harder for the police to get their hands on. So that's, that's the only reason you picked to go to Asia? Just so, like in my mind, at that point, I wanted to make their job as hard as possible to catch me. I wanted the police to spend as much funding as they could to come and catch me. And when they caught me, I could be like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, you got me, whatever, but you just had to work for that. Because, I, lad, I hated them. I still don't like the police, but then I had a real chip on my shoulder. Like, I've just been through a lot with them, lad. Like, the, 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 at that time, they had part ruined my life. Like, there was points where in my life where I didn't want to be a criminal and I did want to do something positive and I've tried to turn over a new leaf. I, um, I, I went to go to a college in, in um, Nantwich, to learn horticulture, I was driving tractors, <laughs> learning how to farm and that. Because for those who don't know, me, me mum, she, she, that's what she does, she grows plants. My mum grows all, all organic plants and then obviously feeds them to us, she's got her own allotment. And that is one of my dreams in the future still, to have like my own plot of land, live off the land, be self-sustainable. Obviously anyone who knows me, I don't eat meat, I'm, I'm a plant-based athlete. And I still had that in me head at that young age, so I was like, Do you know what? I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop grafting. I was getting paid off the college EMA like fucking ninety pound a week, living like a fucking normal person. And then um, police come to me college lad and fucking twisted me up in the college and to told the people who own the college um, that I'm selling crack to the students and that. I was only fifteen, lad, sixteen. Wow. Yeah, and got me kicked out the college. Um, lad, that's just one of the things they've done to me. Like they used to kick me door off every every week, lad, and twist me mum up and twist me little brother up. And so I just had a real hatred for them. So at that point, when I'm on the run, I'm like, fuck these. There's no way I'm handing myself in. These have got to come and get me. Even if I was, even if I couldn't get out the country, I would have done as long as I could in England until they got me. Um, I had some family in Malaysia, my older brother. Um, but I didn't want to come to Malaysia and bring shit to him, lad, because he, he's working a normal job. He's living his own life. He's got his own shit going on. So what's the age difference between you two? Um, it's about five years, four years. It's a yeah. fairly large. Yeah, it, it, it is, but when we were growing up, lad, I'd chill with his mates. I'd be like, I'd be like with him all the time. He, he feels like we're the same age almost. Sometimes I feel like the big brother. <laughs> but um, I didn't want to bring trouble to him. 
So when I flew from France to Asia, I picked to go to Thailand. And um, I spent a few nights in Bangkok and then I flew to Koh Samui. And I lived in Koh Samui for like a year, almost a year. And um, I was like, I'm, I'm going to stay in Koh Samui. And if I don't get arrested, then I'll go to Malaysia. I, I honestly did not think I'd last two weeks. I thought they'll just come and get me. They'll send the team, they'll arrest me, send me back. Because I was still, I, I wasn't hiding. Like I was st still had phones, I was still using Blackberry Messenger back then. I, like I was still had a Facebook on that. So I, I just thought, yeah, fuck it, they'll have to come and get me. I'm, I'm on this island for a year and I'm like, wow, well, I don't think these are coming, you know. So then that's when I said to our kid, I'm, I'm going to come over to Malaysia. Um, moved over to Malaysia. I'm about 19, 20 at this point. I'm, I'm literally in Malaysia and at first it's like you're on holiday. Obviously, I'm from Liverpool. I've never really seen no different cultures, never been to Malaysia. So I'm like, wow, this is mad. What else was in Malaysia? Kuala Lumpur. Oh, great. Well, so it's proper city. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after a while, that novelty wears off, lad. And you're not on holiday anymore. You just live there. And me brothers. How are you making money at this point doing this? Obviously, lad, from, from what I was doing before, I had a bit I had a bit of money. And then I'm there with my brothers as well. My brothers my brothers doing all right. Yeah, my brothers doing all right. So I can I don't have to pay rent. I can stay this gaff. And it's cheaper and uh, ten years ago and eight years cheaper. Because right? I I've been to Kuala Lumpur and Thailand, all that. That was about seventeen years ago for me or fifteen years ago. So but it's similar, like it was cheap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're living off pounds, lad. And then converting it to their money, their currency is not the best. So you live like a king. Um, but yeah, like the novelty started to wear off. I'm not on holiday anymore. I just lived there. And my brother, he's going to work and working long hours. So I'm just by myself all day, every day. And after a while, I'm like, it's a bit boring. I think I should go and do something. Um, I'm doing visa runs every three months to get another stamp in my passport to come back in. Yeah. And I went on a visa run to Singapore. I'd, I'd pick a different country every time because you get to see a little different part of Asia. I went on a visa run to Singapore, lad, and um, I was walking down the street one day and i just seen this like big glass window. It was massive, dead long. And when I looked in, there was loads of people in there doing martial arts. And <clears throat> they were all wearing geese. Obviously, I've always been a big fan of the UFC. I'm, I'm a bit weird, even when I didn't train. I used to like the fights more when they go to the ground, where most people like the like the striking. I always liked the grappling lad. Um, so when I've walked past, I knew they were doing jiu-jitsu. I didn't know nothing about jiu-jitsu, but I knew that was jiu-jitsu. They're all wearing geese and they're wearing belts. Um, obviously, I'm like, white belt, shit, black belt, good. So I'm trying to watch all the black belts. There was like 60 people in there. I'm trying to watch, lad. I must have stood there for at least 45 minutes just watching people do jiu-jitsu, just fascinated. Thinking like, wow, these tiny him, how's he choking that big guy there? And then that must have just stuck with me in my head then. Like, I, even though I'd gone back to Malaysia and I'd done my visa run, that kind of was in the back of my head. And then um, one day, my brother's in work, I'm by myself, I'm just out walking around the city centre and i just seen a sign Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was like, do you know what? I'll just go in there and try it in it, why not? Um, I bounced in there and I know what I'm like. If I would have went in there and not liked it, I would have said, fuck this, I'm not doing it. Yeah. 
but I'm a tight bastard lad. If I would have went and named both of years membership, even if I didn't like it, I've spent the money, I'm doing it. I'm one of them, if I put my mind to it, I'm doing it. So I've gone in there straight away, woman on the desk. I'm like, I want to buy a gear and a year's membership. And she's like, have you done jujitsu before? I'm like, no, never. <laughs> and she's just like, are you sure, mate? Don't you just want to come and like try it first? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to try it. I want to buy a year's membership and a gear. And she's like, anyway, we had a fucking a 20 minute argument and she blagged me to come to the free trial instead. Ah, okay, yeah. That's good. I mean, I would have taken the money personally. Yeah, <laughs> In it, lad, yeah. He doesn't want to do it. I would have upsold him. I would have said, nah, you want a two year one? It's cheaper. <laughs> but um, so I've come down to the free trial. <clears throat> I'm wearing um, long spats, long rash guard because I used to play footy, so I had a set of them. I didn't know anyone in the room when I walked in. The only woman that I, that only person that I recognised was the woman, and she was doing the class as well. She was actually the yoga instructor. So the first person I've seen is and I've gone over and I said hello. And you know, yoga people are a bit nice and touchy feely. She gave me a hug and that. She's like, ah, I'm a proper roadman at this point. So I'm like, all right, love, fucking hell. <laughs> Give her a hug, whatever. In the coach's mind now, he thinks I'm a mate. He doesn't know who I am. He thinks I'm some yoga guy in long, long, nice spats. Ah, yeah, so he thinks I'm just some, some yoga wanker. <laughs> now, my first coach, Bruno Barbosa, his name is, he's um, from Brazil, fourth degree black belt. Um, very, very, very good jiu-jitsu. In my whole time of training under him for maybe eight, nine years, I've never seen him let a student roll on their first ever class. He always tells them, first class, do all the drills, but when it's time to roll, just watch, just have a look. <clears throat> the first day I've gone in there, I was super deluded. I thought in my head, yeah, I've had straighteners and that, I've had fights. I mean, I lift weights and that, I said, fuck, I'll smash all these guys. My coach, he's tiny, he's a small guy, he's like 60-something key. And then I'm in the room, it's in Asia, they're all, they're all little to me, lad, they're all, I'm looking around the room. There was even a few like twelve-year-olds, women, thinking, fighting. These don't know how to fight. I'll fucking twist them all up. Humbling, humbling. Done the warm up. I'm breathing out my ass because it's even though I'm in shape, it's a different energy system, lad. You don't realise. I'm breathing out my ass. We've done the drills. It's time to roll. <clears throat> I'm rolling with this twelve-year-old kid. He fucked me up. He was taking me back, choking me out non-stop. I rolled with some woman, she fucked me up. But I'm still that deluded that every time I get choked and I reset, I go, nah, nah, I'm gonna smash him now. One sec, one sec. Lad, I, I don't realize though, I'm not competitive. I must have been going really hard and trying to like smash people. But they're using jujitsu and I'm just using what I know. So it doesn't matter Which anyway. Yeah, <laughs> zero. Um, but the coach obviously must have been pissed off because then. I've never seen him do this with anyone. He asked me to roll. He was like, yo, let's roll. So I'm thinking, yeah, this little guy, black belt. He's tiny. I'll smash him. At first, I'm coming to his garden. He's just being like all flowy and nice. And I'm just like trying to ragdoll him and that. He's put me in a triangle straight away. I don't have any idea what a triangle is. I'm like, what? what's this? And I'm like, oh shit, this is getting tight, this. I'm like, oh, I know how to get out of this. Picked them up. <laughs> Boom. Slammed them. <laughs> Biggest mistake in my life. 
biggest mistake of my life. His eyes have just gone ping, lit up, and he's just, he literally would submit me. And I'd go tap, 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 tap. He'd hold it for a little bit, hyper extend it a bit, and then continue. And he was going arm bars, arm bars, Kamora's arm up. And in my mind, I don't know, like, do we stop? Do we reset and go? Because it's my first ever class. So for the eight minute roll, he just was tap, 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 tap. After that class, I've had that moment, you know, when you get out the shower and you just sit on the end of your bed naked and you're just sitting there like <laughs> contemplating life, lad. And I, I just remember sitting in the dark on the end of my bed after getting out the shower and just thinking, what the fuck just happened to me there? I didn't know what had happened, but I just knew I want to be able to do that to other people. If, if I can do that to other people, there's no, I, in my mind at that point, I'm thinking there's no man on the planet that can fight me. Uh, I, it's like it's amazing hearing the story because I, I, it's, I think every fighter has had that exact moment. Yeah, that delusion. I, again, I'm a big dude. I'm six foot six. Like I thought I was. I had a, my mate who's five ten. You're a midget, bro. Smash you. What are you on about? Let's have a fight. Yeah, come down to the gym. He had ten pro fights, and I didn't even get to train with him. He made me train with a featherweight called Robbie Olivier, and he just threw me around, embarrassed me. And I had that moment, mum was in the car, like on the way back from training, <laughs> sitting there like this, like, like feeling like a little child, embarrassed, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what it's like, lad, you feel embarrassed, yeah, lad. Yeah. It's shame, it's like deep, deep shame. But that that deep, deep shame made you do it, right? And um, yeah, I got that, I thought exactly, what you just said, is like, I thought, I said, I was upset that I cannot have other people walking around on this planet that could do that to me. Yeah. I cannot, walk, yeah. I cannot. As a man, I cannot walk the streets knowing there's some little dude out there that can do that to me. I can't do it. So that's what made me go back and go back. Because you get, the thing that people don't understand, you get battered. No, no, you got bad that day, but it continues for months and months. It and doesn't months. end there, yeah. And then there's one day where you just pull something off and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right now. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I remember that as well. I remember it when I got my first triangle. Like, because you just think, yeah, yeah. And, but that's on some white belt, and then you try and go up the ranks. You know what I mean? But that's that's amazing. So that that's that's when you started martial arts completely. Yeah, I was. I, I remember when I first started. I was twenty one, twenty two. Like it was just around me twenty second birthday. I think it was like just after it or just before it. And I, I say this to me little brother. If I would have walked in that gym and beat everyone up, I would have never went back. Because I would have been like, see, the fuck do these know? I needed that. I needed to get battered. Bring me ego down a little bit and let me see, like, you don't know what you're talking about, lad. You, you, you're still brand new in this world. When, especially when you're young, you think you know it all. Like, I feel like the more I've learned through my life, the less I think I know. Where back then, I thought I was the shit. I knew everything. No one could tell me nothing. But it's the worst mentality to have. And I feel like going through jiu-jitsu for so many years really changed me as a person, especially the coach Bruno, because he wasn't just a coach on the mat. He was like almost like a dad off the mat to me. Like he really, he had like a a military style of training. After after you're, you're sparring, stop breathing heavy, fix your face, stand up, tie your gi, show you're not tired. Everyone has to line up, bow in, bow out, shake hands, show respect. When you walk in the gym, you walk around the whole room and shake everyone's hand and say hello, make eye contact. If you don't, he's making you do 100 push-ups. If he says 10, 10, 10 jumping jacks and you go, why? 100 push-ups. Why? 200 push-ups. 
and he drilled that into me. Even like outside of the gym, we're going to competitions together, tuck your shirt in, fix your pants, tie your gi on your belt properly, like all of that type of stuff. I throw litter on the floor, 100 push-ups. I'm like, what, we're not in the gym, lad. 200 push-ups. If you don't listen to him, lad, he just kick you out. But I needed that to become a man because I was still in that kind of juvenile, fuck the system, fuck everyone, everyone's against me. Being on them mats every single day not only changed my life, but changed how I looked at myself. When I first was in that room, I still had that mentality like I was in Liverpool of, I walked down the street in a trackie with me hood up and a belly on with just my eyes showing. Of course, you're going to see someone like that and cross over the road and go, I don't want to know him. I used to see kids that I went to school with and go, oh, look, there's... Oh, they see me and go, oh, fuck, there's Shen there. Because I was a bad egg lad, do you know what I mean? He didn't want to know me. Now when I've come to that training room, that's how I think people view me. But no one viewed me like that in the training room. They thought, wow, who's this guy from England? People were coming up to me and shaking my hand. Nice to meet you, what's your name? I was on the mat with politicians, mothers, daughters, uncles, aunties, big businessmen restaurant owners and they're all coming up to me every day and being dead nice to me and that it threw me off because i'm like wow no one ever treats me like this where i'm from people don't really want to know me and if they do it's only the lads yeah. it's only the boys who are like me and it kind of made me grow up a little bit and realize like that's not the person you are that's just because of what the bad things you were doing because i wasn't a, i wasn't a bad kid i wasn't a bad person I didn't want to i didn't want to do bad to people I just kind of done the wrong things. I took the wrong path because I, 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 I didn't know nothing else. I didn't, I, school weren't for me. I didn't want to work in McDonald's or get a nine to five. I, I, I just couldn't have done it, lad. There was no way. And I think this gave me what I needed, jujitsu. Well, you said, you said it great, lad. It's actually literally what I say at the beginning of every one of these podcasts, not here, but back at home. And the whole intro to it is I say, through fighting, I the, the, when I when I started fighting, I was useless. The more I learned, I felt like the less I knew. Yeah, and that's how now coming out of the fighting world and going into the business world or whatever you want to call it or the real world, I feel exactly the same. The more I learn about life, the less I know because it's so vast. That's literally my. You can't could have just your stories it like touched me in a way because I'm like that's me. Everything you're saying is similar, and I come from good family, nice background. Wasn't doing anything like illegal or anything like that. I was just, but I still felt lost. So I think there's a, a Paul Smith yesterday. I don't know if you you were there at the fight. There he gave yeah. a little speech after the fight. He got knocked out and fighting goes way. But he gave a little speech about supporting local communities. And for me, I like teared up a little bit because he was like, the amount of kids out there that are lost, that need boxing gyms, that need MMA gyms, that really, they they can guide them and change their lives because of that. Bruno, you said his name is right. Yeah. Bruno, he, he, even if you've got a dad. Even, but a lot of kids don't have dads. But even if you've got a dad, if he's not giving you that attention or you don't feel like a father figure, your trainer and your coach becomes that guy. Yeah. And then your your group, when you were growing up in Liverpool, the the, the roadmen or whatever you want to call them, that were sending you down this bad path, your group then changes into all these people that are athletes that are trying to improve their lives, the Brunos, the the head, and all, you know, and you're like, you're, you're, your surroundings just completely changed. For me, when I found martial arts, it was the same for me. I, I, I just wanted to impress the people on the mat. The people on the mat became like my, like, I wanted them to look at me and be like, yeah, he's smashing. Yeah. Well, good one, lad. And yeah. that, that's, that gave me direction. And I think most lads that are kids, they don't have that direction. So they get stuck to, like you said, growing up in Liverpool, I want that car, I want that watch. How do I get it? 
sell this and you make some money and okay, I'm going to do that because everyone else is doing it. So it's like takes them out of that environment and puts them in. It's a fucking brutal environment. Fighting is jujitsu, brutal, killing each other every day, pushing his but But you get this bond that like really pushes you. And like I feel when Smith said that and he said, you know, support your local community, kids need it. They need these boxing gyms. They need these MMA gyms. And I think uh, like you're a testament to that. I'm a testament to that. And I, I was working in marketing in London, had a good job, making good money. I wasn't, yeah, my life was fine. But, but was I had happy. I was not happy. I had no direction. And then when I stepped on the mats, you said like you're on the, with politicians, with businessmen. For me, it was the other way. I felt, because I didn't go to university. You know, like I was like, all my mates went to uni. I was not going to uni. I was like, I felt like a bit of a loser. I was like, so I went to this mat and then he'd have these, a lawyer or whatever. But like, this guy. And then I'd be like, are the mats the equalizer? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care if you're a lawyer outside. I don't care if you're a politician outside. How much time have you spent on these mats? That's yeah. what it became to me. And that's yeah. how, like, I then have my, my my group that would push me. And I'd be like, oh, who's this guy? All right, okay. Oh, he's some millionaire construction dude. Sweet. Does he know this? You know what I mean? And he made me feel important. It gave me a sense of importance and a sense of purpose. And that's what made me push, push through it. So hearing your side of it is like, like I said, there's so many mirrors for, for me. I think um, I think a lot of people have got that, but yeah, it's uh, it's inspiring. I think for, for for the guys. But then it brings us on. So that was just jujitsu. So you just started with jujitsu, 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 and then how did you transfer into mixed martial arts? It's the mad thing, lad. Like I had no aspirations of competing jujitsu. I had no aspirations of ever doing MMA. I had no aspirations of ever fighting MMA. I just found something that I really loved and that I enjoyed doing. And I, I'm, I'm doing nothing all day, every day to now training three times a day. And in my first year of jiu-jitsu, I trained seven days a week, three times a day. My coach would have to tell me to go home and I'd go, it's okay, then I'll just watch this class. I was obsessed. I was completely obsessed. And in two months of training, he made me sign up for my first competition. Oh, we forgot. Did you sign up for the year? Um, I did, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So okay, so you give me yeah. the free class, you got bad, and then yeah. you paid for a year. Yeah, right So two months in, you signed up for your first comp. Two months, my coaches come up to me like, Professor Bruno's not the type of man that you argue with. If Professor Bruno says you're doing it, you go, else, yes, coach. He didn't say, "What are you doing this weekend? Do you want to compete?" Because I would have said no. I'm, I'm not into all that, lad. He went, "You competing next weekend, by the way." And I went, nah, you're competing next. Okay, coach. <laughs> and that's just how it is, lad. I'm, 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 I'm I was happy to be representing Team Buddha, which is his team. I was a bit nervous that I'm going to a competition, didn't really want to do it. But I knew it'd make him happy and I knew he'd be proud. And I, like, he, he was one of them coaches that after class he gives long speeches and he speaks to everyone and he gives everyone the time of day and he speaks when most coaches just go on. Yeah. Done me, I've done my job, go home, get paid. He'd stay around the gym for another hour and speak to every person. If you had any family problems, he'd speak to you, he'd help you. If you didn't show up to training for a week, he'd probably knock at your house and come in your house and be like, why haven't you been coming? What's, what's been going on in your personal life? He's a proper good man, lad. And I, I more than want to let him down. So that's the main reason why I wanted to compete. Obviously, I wanted to test my skills a little bit. I had a bit of ego and that, you know what I mean? Went to my first competition after two months. For the whole lead up to the competition, he made me just drill an armbar from close guard. That was it. And I'm thinking like, oh, let's, 
I want to do all this stuff. I want to. No. Close guard, bring them into your guard, break the posture, armbar them. Yeah. I went to the competition. I done um, no gi and gi over the two days. I think I had eight fights the first day, eight fights the second day, and I submitted everyone with the same armbar from close guard. The exact same shit. Close guard, armbar, close guard. Literally like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 seconds. And afterwards, I was just like, what? That was the sickest thing ever. And that's when I had the bug to compete. Yeah. At that point, I knew, like, I, th I think I can be a Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. Like, straight away, that was my mentality. Wow. And I honestly did believe I was going to be a black belt Jiu-Jitsu World Champion, compete in America, go to Brazil. I'm on the run, lad. <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? But... I'm just super competitive and super ambitious, and he, he he's blowing the smoke up me as well because I'm now I'm now I'm now saying it to him, and he, he's the type of coach that believes in you, lad. And yeah. at this point, you don't know I'm on the run. Also, I, oh yeah, I never told yeah, yeah. no one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, just uh, I I did the Euros like fuck knows when it was now five six seven years ago or whatever. Nogi Euros in Rome, and. Uh, I'd been fight for in the UFC, everyone knew who I was, and I remember that I was, I was doing a purple belt, I think. And I come in and this guy looks at me and he's just like, we'd mess around or whatever. Um, I take him down and he arm bars me from the fucking guard. So maybe he, maybe he had the same coach. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, so I didn't have good memories of being arm barred from the guard, but I, I could never find the rhythm with Jiu Jitsu. I, I tried to compete quite a lot, but it's such a different mental environment like yeah you don't know when you're gonna go then you're up you don't get warm up you don't and then i'm you will understand this now but for me jujitsu matches that it's not like a fight so there's no adrenaline in me or it's, fear it's hard me. to get going in it with that like it like an mma fight boom adrenaline yeah. jujitsu you step on the mat like but i don't think they have that because they've never done mma that's what i mean that's so they're I mean. up and you're like yeah. Exactly, Go. exactly. That's how I was. I yeah. was like super slow and ran. This guy is trying to kill me. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? He's just having a roll. But it's a different mentality. So obviously you came through Jiu-Jitsu first. So yeah. you had that intensity at the beginning. So originally in Jiu-Jitsu, I was a guard player. Yeah. I used to pull guard every fight. Yeah. And no one had ever passed me guard. Bruno used to always drill into me. If no one can pass your guard, you can never lose. And I used to be like... Well, yeah, they've got to submit you, yeah, and if they don't pass your guard, how did they submit you? Yeah? Obviously, they can footlock you, but yeah. I'm not tapping to a footlock, so I was like, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole thing was guard. I used to submit everyone from guard, armbars, triangles, or sweep mounts, and then take the back. Um, I've obviously now, at this point, just won them two competitions. I'm on top of the world, and I'm like to Bruno, as soon as we get off the map, when's the next competition? Bruno's the type of man that... Did you see that armbar? It was sick that way, innit? No, not enough pressure on the head. <laughs> and you're like, what? But I tapped him in 10 seconds. Could have been better. And he'd bring me back and make me drill it again, but that's what kept me hungry, lad. Because I'm chasing that approval. Lads, maybe would have went, well done, lad, you've made it. Maybe I would have went, come out, are we going out tonight? Instead, I'm going back home going, we ain't good enough. And I just kept coming in, kept grinding, kept going. I ended up, Competing actively all around Southeast Asia, and I won everything. Every competition there was in Southeast Asia, I was going there and winning it, winning it, winning it, winning it. It comes to the point where the fella who owned the gym come up to me and was like, "Look, if you make yourself all social media accounts, you're just training for free and represent the gym because you're just killing everyone in comps." I was winning every absolute open weight, every every at me weight class. 
I was going to competitions and fighting like guys who were 120 key. And before I'd be on the mat, I'd be like, fuck, this guy's going to smash me here. And I'd go there and submit them in 10 seconds and be like, he was shit in. And I ju- it just built, lad. I ended up going to the World Championships and representing Great Britain while I was on the run. I ended up doing a super fight on ADCC against black belts when I was a blue belt. Um, I ended up doing the bracket in ADCC Singapore. Um, the fella who owned ADCC come to us at the end of the match and was like, that's the best match I've ever seen. We, 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 we went to an even score after 10 minutes. Yeah. They're supposed to pick a decision. And he was like, just want to do another 10 minutes now. And we were like, fuck it, let's go. Uh, lads. I just had a sick, sick experience traveling all around Asia and UAE and stuff with me coach. And it just made us like proper, proper dead close. And one day I've come back to the gym and he's just sat me down. I'm like maybe 23, 24, I'm getting a bit older. And he's like, you're getting older now, lad. What are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep doing jiu-jitsu and that. I've got sponsors and that. And he's like, no, but what about when you have kids? Are you going to pay for your house? Are you going to start a family? And I weren't thinking about none of that, lad. I'm just living on the high, just chasing the dream, competing. And I'm like, wow, it's brought me to reality a little bit. Like, yeah, I can't fucking live off medals. He is right. Like, I'm, I'm spending my own money to go and compete. It's jiu-jitsu. I'm not really getting paid. And if I am... Barely covering me flights, hotel, food. I'm like, what? He's right. He's like, look, there's a tournament coming up called Malaysian Invasion. It's an um, it's an MMA show. It's a reality TV show. You go on the show and you fight in like like a 16 man bracket, and you fight every month for whatever it is, or an eight man bracket. You fight every month, and if you win the whole show, you get a title at the end you get money and you get a contract to one championship and you'd be fighting under one championship. Now, in my gym, all of the best guys were all already signed to one championship. We had Aguilantani, he fought Ben Askren uh, when he was 19 for the belt. We had Keanu Suba, um, Gianni Suba, he's, the, he's now the commentator on, on one championship. Uh, P- Peter Davis, uh, Iranian national wrestler Mehdi Bagheri, uh, Mustafa Rad, like our gym at that time, it was just like a hotbed in Southeast Asia. Our Jiu Jitsu coach from Brazil, our boxing coach from America, our wrestling coach from Iran. Then the guy who owned the gym was a black belt from Belgium. And it was like people from all over Asia was just coming to train at our little spot in Malaysia. Obviously, the weather's nice, the currency is cheap. Yeah. And because our jiu-jitsu team was just going and crushing every other competition, our gym just become like this hub. And now I've got this opportunity to like fight MMA. And I thought, you know what? They're going to pay me, I'll just do it. Um, it, was, it, was, it was an amateur tournament, it was amateur MMA. Yeah. But you get $5,000 to fight. So I'm like, well, I get five grand to fight. And I've been doing jiu-jitsu for free. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what? Hold on a minute. I've been going about this the wrong way. I went to me I went to me first fight. It was a, it was the tryout stage. So you go down there. This is the maddest concept ever. This would never ever work in England. Someone would definitely get killed. Imagine 
the busiest shopping centre in Manchester or Liverpool, St John's Market for those who were the Scousers. They put a cage in the middle of the market, in the middle of the shopping centre. Imagine the shopping centre's got 20,000 people in it, high traffic. Anyone walking through the, the shopping market, they go, do you want to try out for this TV show? Get in the cage and have a fight. And random is just getting there and, and, and people were just getting knocked out. You had like 40-year-old men who'd never fought getting in there and just getting chinned. And you don't know you don't know who you're fighting. So the guy could actually be training for it. I was training for it. Like, we knew it was coming up. Some of these guns are just walking off the street. So you get there. You do. Yeah, there is something like that. Sorry, there's something like that in the UK at the gypsy fairs. I went to the it's gypsy there. fair in, uh, I can't remember, one in Cambridge. There's a park in Cambridge in the centre and they have a gypsy fair and they have a boxing booth. And they just, just get in there and have a rug. Like, that's it. One of my uh, guys used to travel with Tommy McGuire. I mean, gypsies are known for like being on the box or whatever, but if you go in like, and you win, you have to stay in until you lose. Like, you, can't, <laughs> you, can't, you can't just hey, bow out. You, know yeah. so you get in, you box someone up, then someone else comes in. It could be any way, whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's worse. It's metal. That's a fight to the death, that yeah, one, literally, lad. Literally, literally. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the event, but I saw Tommy do it, and he smashed a load of dudes up. Because they, they all think they can fight as well. Have a few beers, get in there, and then Tommy could actually fight. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's metal. So that's the only... That is in the UK, but that is in a gypsy fair. So don't think... Yeah, it's a bit different. But yeah, I get it, I get it. So yeah, you were smashing up these 40-year-old nobody. No, no I, I wish I never got a 40-year-old nobody. <laughs> they stitched me up, let me tell you. So... Imagine this now, yeah, you come to the mall, <clears throat> I'm with me coaches and that, so the people who run the show, they know kind of who's from what gym and who's a civilian, but they want good TV as well, do you know what I mean? So they let, a, they let an old guy get knocked out now and then, it makes good footage, but the guys who are like, because we're in our little gym tops with Bruno and that, everyone respects Bruno in the country, he, 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 teach, he coaches the, the national team now from Malaysia, okay. the SEA Games, like, he's a big guy in, in, in Malaysia. So they know who everyone is, do you know what I mean? So they're not just going to give me some random fucking old man because I'm not Asian. To ah, them, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a foreigner, yeah, lad. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, fuck, we, we don't care about you. You're getting smashed, mate. Yeah. There was two divisions, foreign pride for foreigners only, and then the Malaysians. So the Malaysians only fight Malaysians okay, yeah. because obviously the... The foreigners have smashed them, lad. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. I love Malaysia as well. So I have to only fight foreigners. Yeah. So come to the tryout stage. First, you hit pads with your coach and they, they, they score, yeah. Next, you grapple with this random stranger. I ended up grappling with some Kazakh guy. Um, and then after that, you go in the cage with a random guy and you have, you have a fight. So <clears throat> I've done the grappling. I've done the pads. Time to go in the cage. Um, Cause it's just a tryout stage. This part doesn't go on your, yeah, doesn't record. go on your record. It's just to see how you go. So bear in mind, I'm a straight jujitsu guy at this point. This point, I don't know anything. I if you've watched my fight, you know I'm a southpaw. Yeah. I went in there as an orthodox. That's how little I knew. Yeah. I just went, oh, I'm a standing. Fuck it like this. <laughs> as soon as it started, I ran across the cage, grabbed them, took them down, armbarred them. They've said, stop. I'm like, yes. Stand back up, fight. We haven't seen enough. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I've just submitted them. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget all that. Fight. Lad, the fella was a kickboxer, lad. He punched me around the ring. He punched me around the ring. I took him down and submitted them about 10 times. 
but they just go, nah, 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 doesn't count, stand back up, fight. Wow. Now, it comes to the point where I'm gassing out and I'm looking at Bruno and Bruno's like, just control them. So then I'd take him down and control them and they'd be like, nah, this is boring, stop, stand back up, fight. And I just thought, wow, this is terrible, this, why have I done this, lad? <laughs> but what FC is all about, they, they love the striking, right? They love the world champion kickboxers and all that sort of stuff, so... Getting this little jiu-jitsu guy coming in and submitting. I mean, they like that too, but yeah, I can see it. I can imagine it. They, and that, I, I, would, I, I don't know if I can handle that. I've won 10 times. Fuck this. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not getting banged out for yeah. the TV. Obviously, I'm lucky I never got knocked out. So I've done all right. Yeah. Now, afterwards, they do all interviews and that to yeah. see, like, let's see what he's like on the mic. Lad, at that point, lad, I'm just a cocky little bastard, lad. You think I'm bad now? I was probably worse then. Um... They just loved me, lad. They were just like, yeah, you're on the show. Therefore, um, he picked me. So now I'm in camp now, training to have my first actual MMA fight. Um, it was mad. It was a mad experience because now I've gone from just doing jiu-jitsu to now I'm doing MMA. I was training every day. My two, my two main training partners, Aguilan Tani, Mehdi Bagheri, um, Aguilan's probably about 96 key and Medi's probably about 86 key and back then I was about 65 key and I was just getting smashed every single day like jiu-jitsu don't work on a on a Greco-Roman Iranian national wrestler and Aguilan was a brown belt at that point and he was a wrestler he trained in America at um, Team Quest with all them guys Team Quest okay yeah, yeah that was he, he, he had good cage wrestling he had really good top pressure and I was a white belt in jiu-jitsu I was just getting my head punched in every single day. But I'd realise after a while, when I'd go back to jiu-jitsu, I was killing everyone. And I was thinking like, wow, I think I'm actually getting better doing MMA for jiu-jitsu. Because I was still working with Bruno every day as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was still getting the jiu-jitsu in. I went to my first ever fight. <clears throat> this time, I'm like, fuck, I'm not coming out orthodox. I'm coming out southpaw. Even though I'm naturally right-handed. Mm-hmm. I found it easier to always stand southpaw because when I first started training with Mehdi, the wrestling coach, he asked me, what's your strongest leg? And I was like, my right leg. He's like, so you stand with your right leg forward. And he just taught me footwork, how to gallop, move forward. And Aguilan taught me how to gallop. But like for the wrestling, to stay in your stance, don't cross your feet. So I was just doing loads of wrestling footwork at first as a southpaw. So now when it comes to striking, standing orthodox just felt weird for me. So then I'd done that fight as a southpaw. I took your man down, mounted him, triangled him. Um, I was on top in the triangle. <clears throat> and I was trying to armbar him and he, he weren't tapping. And I looked to my corner and my corner goes, punch, punch. You know when you you know when you punch someone like that, obviously you're experienced, so you, you, you get leverage on the punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was brand new. I'd never even thrown a punch. So I've got him in the triangle and they said punch and I went. <laughs> Lad, the video's on YouTube. Me corner men just start laughing. All of them are in the corner just laughing their heads off, lad. I, I TKO with them because the ref stopped it because he couldn't defend himself. Yeah. Lad, they called me drummer boy for the next year in the gym, lad. <laughs> it's him like that. Oh, lad. <laughs> but I won my first fight. I got paid, which is mad as an amateur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was on, on a TV show. I'm fucking on the run. It's a mad, it, it was just a whole mad experience. But it was a good experience, lad. It was proper rewarding. 
I've got something positive to tell me mum when I'm ringing home. Yeah. My family are just like, wow, what the fuck's happened to him? And my mates, like, all of my mates who were gangbanging, like, some of them were in jail, some of them were up, and I'm telling them, they're like, it was just like I was a different person yeah. or something, lad. It was mad. Um, every camp and every fight on the show, I'm getting better and better. My striking's improving, my wrestling's improving. I beat everyone on the show, was submitting them or TKOing them from, from Mount. I got to the final. I'm in the final now. And now this is when I've had like my first hurdle on the road. Yeah. Um, in the final, you're fighting a stadium Nagara. It's like one championship used that stadium in Malaysia. It's like a 20,000 seater stadium. It's a, it's, a big, it's a big thing over there for Malaysian invasion for them, lad. This is like the... This is their shit, you know what I mean? And I'm in the final now, I'm fighting for the title. I'm fighting some Malay guy from Singapore. Because he's from Singapore, he's a foreigner. Man. So he was in the foreign. Okay. But everyone's back at him because he's Malay. His name was Porkchop. He was he was good lad. He was, he'd been doing MMA for like six, seven, eight years. And I'm fucking, I'm been doing it a year or something, you know what I mean? I got to the fight, <laughs> to the camp. And um, they've contact doesn't being like we found out that you're on the run we're kicking you off the show and you're off the final this was my first hurdle lad and i'm like fuck they contacted the police back home it's all gone a bit mad they're saying i'm not on the show and i don't know how but the owner of my gym because i was like fuck it then i'm not fine straight away as soon as i heard that now everyone knows i'm a criminal in the gym People know I'm on the run, about to tell Bruno, about to explain it to Bruno. The annoying thing for me wasn't the fact that everyone found out. It was the fact that people are now looking at me like a burglar. I'm not a burglar, I've never been a burglar. The owner of the gym was coming up to me and saying like, yeah, I know you didn't do it and that, mate, because I'm saying i never done it. Mm. He's like, I know you didn't do it, but can't you just give back the money? And I'm like, you don't understand, mate. There, there is no money. That man was never wronged. He just went to the police after what happened, but it wasn't me. It was my cousin. Yeah. I didn't do it, mate. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you didn't do it. Well, can't you just give him the stuff back then? And we were just going around in circles like that, lad. And somehow, the owner of my gym went to the British consulate and got a letter off them to say that I, I, I can compete and I'm not wanted. What? And he give it to the owner of the show, and then next minute they're like, "Okay, you can fight now. You're back in." So, so at this point, you're not on the run anymore. No, I'm still on the run. Well, even since I'm on the run, I don't know how he got the letter, lad. Okay. I don't even know. Maybe it wasn't a real letter. I don't know, <laughs> lad. I don't know. It wasn't me who got it, but I was just made up to be back fighting. So I'm back fighting now. Mad. I've gone to the fight. I'm fighting this fella. But so now we're back in the final. Yeah, I'm yeah. back in the final. Come to the weigh-in. I'm with my big brother and that. We've held it in the big chief. Everyone's like, wow. We were like, to everyone there, we were just like, before we were gangsters or something. Yeah, yeah, like, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, especially now, yeah. Yeah. We've wrapped up to the weigh-in. And I'm like, where's my opponent then? And I'm looking like, what, that skinny guy there? He's all sucked in, frail at the weigh-in. I've stepped on the scales, clothes on. Power bank in my pocket, iPhone, 68 key. Uh, yeah, whatever, I've made weight. Come to the face off, I'm thinking, he looks tiny, him, lad. Towering over me, short and stocky. 
got in the cage the next day, he was massive. He was massive. He'd had to be at least 77, at least. He was probably more. And I'm still the same weight. Yeah. And I've got in there for, for he's massive him. Mm. Fight started. I've shot a takedown straight away and he's just gone, no. Yeah. Just bu- pushed me off with his hips, didn't even sprawl. And I just knew straight away, like, wow, this is going to be a long night, this. He was punching me up on the feet like I, I was just a jiu-jitsu guy at this point. Yeah. The only thing I say I had going for me, my cardio was insane because yeah. I just used to train that much and was obsessed. I just felt like I'd never get tired, yeah. especially being the smaller man in the fight as well. Um, I remember the end of like the second round, I looked at the clock, there's like 20 seconds on the clock and I thought, fuck it. I jumped close guard brought him to the ground and triangled him straight away. And then the timer went as I was squeezing the triangle. And I was like, fuck, his jiu-jitsu shit. He just had good wrestling, good striking, no jiu-jitsu, like, in my mind. I've gone back to my corner and my coach, Aguilar, and my teammate. What the fuck are you doing, lad? What are you jumping guard for? You're making us all look stupid. you got to wrestle, push him to the cage, take him down. And then I looked at Bruno and Bruno was like, <laughs> yeah you, you got this lad just jump guard third round starts run across the cage jump guard triangle choke him out wow yeah nice and then I, I won the belt lad it was mad big stadium all televised fucking i've got all my family are watching the live stream all my boys back home and that that was like my first taste of like big stage something um come out the cage I've got paid and I'm thinking wow this is a good life this I can see why people do this this is nice (laughs) every single person who won the belt that night all got offered the contract to one championship except me Uh, and because of the policing right I'm deluded lad in my mind it's just like nah maybe they just didn't like me no one's told me so it's not if if it's not in black and white I don't believe it Mm. I I still want to go one championship I can still do it. I'm still going to fight for one championship. I was deluded, lad. I was on the run. What the fuck was I thinking? But, lad, I'm just so goal-driven that you can't tell me no. In my mind, I will get there. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew I was going to get there. After that point, I'm 4 and 0. It was supposed to be five fights, but on the tournament, someone ended up getting injured, so I had four, won the belt. Um, I'm 4 and 0. For the next eight months i'm trying to get more amateur fights and no one wants to fight me i've just come from this tv big show man, big yeah. high now to fighting regional mma amateur mma and everyone's like nah, i'm not fighting him so i just went you know what i'm just gonna go pro then i'd been training at this point for like 16 18 months and i just thought fuck it i'll just go pro i want to keep fighting i'm not sitting on the sidelines um i had my pro debut and this is this is what's been the maddest thing about my career i've been so fortunate lad that all of my fights have been main events. Like, I had the main event in my first pro debut. I had the main event, uh, was it was we main event? We were like second to last fight or something on the on my last amateur fight. All the other amateur fights, I was the last fight of the night because I always used to talk shit. Looking, uh, I'm the foreigner, I was the bad guy. Had my first pro debut. Uh, bit of a mad one. Sanchai was there. Sanchai giving me trophy when I won and took oh. a picture with me and that. Like, this is how much of a mad cunt I was. I called Sanchai out after the fight. <laughs> Sanchai does not understand what I'm saying. Never heard the scouser in his life and he's like, I'm like, face off. 
they swap and he's like yes yes thank you thank you yeah <laughs> won my first pro debut beat this guy triangle armbarred him in the first round second fight main event again won by another submission like I'm, I'm just starting to rack up the wins now and then another opportunity comes I'm hearing about this um, TV show One Warrior series it's mm -hmm. run by Rich Franklin if you heard yeah, of it yeah, yeah, yeah. so the first ever season of One Warrior series the first ever episode they done a tryout in Bangkok if you wanted to be on One Warrior series it was a way to get a contract to, to one championship yeah, which was still the goal yeah, it was still a goal at this point because everyone around me in the gym, they're all in one championship. I'm looking at Aguilar fighting Ben Askren and making fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars and thinking, fuck, I can do that. I'm looking at one and going, he's shit, he's shit at my weight class. Yeah. Obviously, Ben Askren's a fucking legend. I'm yeah. not, I would never say he's shit. He'd fucking murder me. But I was looking at featherweight and going, ah, these guys are all bums. I'll just... A lad, I've always been like that. They probably would have smoked me, lad, on fucking two and oh, but that's the mindset I had. And I think you need that to be the best. Um, so the goal's still one championship. I've gone to this tryout in Bangkok, me and my teammate, Mustafa Raddy. Um, it was hundreds of people there, lad. Hooked the first ever episode. Hundreds of people. And I'm thinking, like, fuck, some of these come to good. You know, when you just look at someone and you just go, check the cauliflowers on him lad but some of them were good lad but i just felt like some of them were missing the tv side yeah where i felt like i was good but i had the tv side i didn't at that point i'm not thinking like that but you know looking back now brazilian guys there they were just fucking throwing up all mad submissions but then they can't speak english and yeah. they're just like thank you yes so they don't try out the first part is you hit pads with your coach. I'm hitting pads with my coach. Everything's going well. There's a team of panelists. Rich Franklin, Shannon Warachai, who was a one championship fighter. Rika Ishige, who was a one championship female fighter. And someone else, can't remember who. Sorry, lad. <laughs> you mustn't be that good. <laughs> Just sorry. Um, four of them, and they... Two fighters on the mat at the time, yeah. and you hit pads and they score, yeah. And then after that, you, you and him grapple with each other. Ah, okay. So I'm hitting pads, I'm green on the feet at this time, but I'm still trying to pull out all the flashy spinning wheel kicks, spinning back kicks, and then I'm jumping into scissor takedowns and ground and pounding. I tried to make it a bit more grappling, a few big hip tosses, so he could see, like, oh, he's not just a striker, he's a grappler, because yeah. me grappling was me A game. Afterwards, I'm a blue belt at this point, bear in mind. Afterwards, they put me to grapple with the other guy who was hitting pads. So they're like, Rich Franklin's like, Shem, I want you on the bottom, half guard. The other guy, I want you on top. I've spoke to him and been like, underhook or no underhook? The guy didn't speak English. When, so he, the under. when, <laughs> when he spoke, I could tell he was Brazilian. So then I've asked Rich, do you want him with the underhook? And Rich says, yeah. And I said, underhook, mate. And he's looked at me and I've gone, it's Grima, which is Portuguese, yeah, but underhook. And then, lad, you know when someone just takes the underhook, like, and I knew straight away how he took, like, he, he, he pummeled for the underhook. I knew, like, this guy's a jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah. And he's Brazilian. He's got to be a jiu-jitsu guy. So I fought in my head. When they say go, as soon as he, 
as soon as he says the first letter, boom, I'm just going to explode up to my feet and disengage. Because yeah. Rich said, you can submit from the bottom, you can sweep, or you can get up and disengage. Guy on top, it's your job to hold him down, pass his guard, submit him. Mm. Rich has gone, good, boom, off, get off. <laughs> Straight away, I have cheated it, like, do you know what I mean? But you're not ready, you're not ready. You ain't trying, you ain't trying. Yeah. He's got up, like, all mad and started, like, trying to throw kicks and punching that. And Rich is like, whoa, stop. <laughs> so I'm like, it's over, lad, I'm up, yeah. Rich has gone, do it again. This time he was ready, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But still, I've just fucking exploded with everything. Shook, shook them off. Yeah. Boom. Done it twice. Rich is like, change now. I want you on top and him on the bottom. I knew straight away, because I've just done that, he's going to do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. So when he's gone to explode up, I, I just went front headlock, guillotine, and jumped to guard and choked him out with a guillotine. Wow. And then the second time he's exploded, I took us back and really could choke them. And Rich has gone, I've seen what I need to see. And he's come over like, no, 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 let's again, 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 no, one more, one more. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do one more. I could feel he was good, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> Rich has pulled me to the side, I've had a little combo with him. And he was like, lad, you remind me of my mate, you know, you remind me of um, Tarzan, he said his mate was. Tarzan, um, from Henzo Gracie. It's like, you strike like him and you've got good jujitsu and that. So I'm like, yeah, son, nice one, Rich. Gone backstage, Brazilian guys all sad and that's so all gone over to him like, it's, it's all right mate lad, no, nice to meet you. And I've just asked him like, you a black belt lad? And he's like, yeah, yeah, second degree black belt. Fuck. And he's like, you black belt? I'm like, nah, I'm a blue belt, me, you know, bro. And he's just like, Fuck. didn't speak to me after that, he was just like. You say that to a Brazilian black belt, like, especially a Brazilian. Like, yeah, hate his heart. Like, yeah, 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 for sure. But like you said, in those situations, for some people that don't understand what we're talking about a lot, and probably don't, but like yeah. that situational sparring, those if, you, if you're if you just that one step ahead, you can do it, you know what I mean? And then I think exploding out from the bottom, most jiu-jitsu players, they don't think you just get up. Like I remember that, like back in the, like, I remember my amateur MMA fight, I was in the guard, someone was in my guard, and they just pushed me off and stood up. And I was like, oh, no, people don't do that. You engage yeah. and you play yeah. jiu-jitsu. So it's like you were just a different mentality for, for that I, thing. I think because I used to believe so much in my guard, and then I was training with Aguilar, who was like me, I'm a main coach, and he'd been over with all them Team Quest guys who were like the opposite mentality of yeah. wrestle, anti-jiu-jitsu. Anti he used to beast me on getting up to my feet all the time. So mm -hmm. after class, he'd make me drill get-ups and he'd hold me down. And I got really good at getting back to my feet, but I just never used it. That's something that I think, like most, for MMA, we saw it last night with Frimpong. Dennis. Dennis was like so happy being on the bomb. It's like, bro, get get up. You, you. And he had like little tiny glimpses on the feet. I think it was second round. He like hit him with a stiff left hand and then threw this mad knee up and it landed. So then he just got taken down again. They didn't even try and get back to his feet. And you see that a lot, like maybe not at the UFC level, but... They do sometimes. Sometimes, like yeah. they, they accept the position because they love jujitsu so much. But if you're on the bottom, you're losing. You're losing, you know I mean? yeah. So it's, um, right, let's wind forward because we were talking all this fight I stuff. Um, obviously, the Stoke, I didn't know any of this. So what happens with this with, you, with this series? You get So they've told me now they want to take me for dinner. They've, I've made the first process. Sadly, yeah. you made Mustafa Radi. They weren't really interested in him, even though he was well better than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've picked me. I've gone for dinner with them all. Showed up. It was me, 
stamp fair text. They picked her, you know, stamp fair text, innit? Yeah. Um, she's gone on now to be the Muay Thai world champion in one, the kickboxing world champion, and MMA world champion. Well, I didn't even know who she was, but she was there. They picked me, stamp fair text, some Filipino guy. There was three of us, and we've all come for dinner. They've got cameras there filming and all of that. Lad, I'm just being me. I'm just a cocky little bastard. I'm like, what, what do you just want to order, guys? And they're all like, oh, no, thank you. I'm like, yeah, give two of them, three of them. Get a bottle of this. Put it on Rich's tab. You're covering it all. <laughs> me and Rich, lad, I don't know, but we just got on, lad. Me and him are just having back and forth. He's telling me about his religion. I'm telling him about mine. We're, we're just speaking, lad. We're bus- busting joke about his fights, Anderson Silver days. And lad, at some point, they've cut the cameras off and been like, sorry, Rich, can you speak to the others? They're just sitting there like, all quiet and that, you know what I mean? Whatever, he's done his job, he spoke to them. He's like, lad, I basically told him like my life story up until that point, because we were getting on. He was like, lad, I want you to come with me to this hotel room after this, and I want you to tell me what you just told me on camera. And I'm like, yeah, come on then. I've gone back to the hotel room with them. They've stuck this big ring light in my face. This is my first ever time like doing any of this yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. They've stuck this big ring light on my face. I'm in a room full of all employees for one championship. And I've just told my story, lad. Because that ring light's in your face, you can't really see the room. You can just see the fucking the yeah, camera. Yeah. Lad, they've switched the ring lights off. I've looked around the room, lad, and everyone's crying, bro. <laughs> I'm like, because I told them how I grew up, my life, my dad, crime, guns, whatever, whatever. And lad, cameras are off. He's there, he's like, lad, I'm going to make you a star. Mm-hmm. He's like, you are going to be champion in this promotion. Mm-hmm. You've got the skills, you've got the looks, you've got the talk. Lad, and I'm just sitting there like, I'm fucking on the run here, lad. I'm about <laughs> 23, 24 years of age. And I'm just thinking, fucking hell, I've hit the jackpot here, lad. I'm sitting with Rich Franklin. Uh, I was watching him fucking, I was watching him in, in my Mars box room a few years ago, <laughs> lad, smoking a joint. <laughs> <laughs> lad, I've gone home, I'm on top of the world, lad. I'm thinking, yeah, fucking made up. I'm going to get this contract to one championship. I've signed the contract with them there and then. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with them. I'm signed to one now. Made me first fucking dream that I've set, lad. Obviously, the jiu-jitsu stuff was on the back burner because I wanted to be a world champion, but I found this now yeah, real money yeah, and that. Do you get me? Yeah. <laughs> I've got home. Phones rang. I've answered it. Someone who works for one championship, Bashir. His name is Bashir Ahmad, Pakistani guy. He's like, yeah, we're terminating your contract. We found out that you wanted. I could understand that, lad. Yeah. I could understand it, lad. I, I was heartbroken. But I could understand it. One thing that they done me dirty that I'll never forgive them for, they had copies of my passport and they sent them to the police. And he told me that on the phone. He said, oh, by the way, I've sent your passports to the police. And I was like, what? Why the fuck have you done that, lad? It's got nothing to do with you. It's out of your jurisdiction. You're not even English. None of you are. You don't have any obligations to Merseyside police. Why would you do that to me, lad? And I don't know why they done that to me. I never got to the bottom of it. But my dream was to fight in one championship. That was my dream at that point. I thought the production value of the shows were amazing. I used to go to every event. 
I'd always get tickets, I'd be ringside, I'd always know someone fighting on the show, I knew loads of the people off the production because it was the same people on Malaysian Invasion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, lad, I just overnight just hated them or something, bro, because cause, cause, just because of that one Cause of move. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he never done that one move, I'd still be like, I, 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 I fucking respect them. Yeah. But I just felt like they done me dirty, lad. And, you know, it wasn't Chattery himself, it probably weren't his move, but... He's, it's his company, lad. He's, he's, you don't. Why would you fuck with the police, lad? I just don't get it, lad. I'm, I'm always that mentality. If you speak to the police, lad, you're not one of my people, lad. If, if, if I had a son of my son work for the police, lad, I'd disown him, bro. <laughs> I swear to God, I'd disown him, lad. He wouldn't be my son anymore. And yeah, to skip that anyway. Now I'm fucking sitting there. I'm fucking sad. I'm fucking not with one championship anymore. You know what the maddest thing was, bro? At that point, probably could have spiralled into like a depression mode. Mm. But like the next day, I just woke up and I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to make sure that I beat every single person on this scene that they're going to sign. All of the best Asian guys, all of the best prospects. I'm going to smash them all on the regional pro MMA scene and I'm still going to be a bigger star than all of their best boys and it just motivated me to go into a next gear to drive and to just be like fuck it let's go and um at that point i'm obviously now a bit of a name i'm popping yeah. I'm posting all the stuff i've been signed i haven't been signed the controversy yeah. everyone's like what you know that shit just makes you trend on it it's yeah. weird lad and um i got offered and maybe three four and all at this point I got offered to fight this fella who was in the UFC. He, he left the UFC. He was the first ever guy from Taiwan to sign to the UFC. Um, Rocky Lee, his name was. Um, I got offered to fight him. And the people around me were a bit like, oh, it's a big jump, that lad. You know, maybe you should keep building your... And I'm like, nah. Because I've got that chip on my shoulder, lad. Of, nah, this is the chance that I was saying that I wanted. It was like... Like, I've almost fought it into fruition, lad. Like, I, I, I fucking seeked it out and it's come to me, lad. And mm. I, I just knew when the opportunity come that this is what I needed to do. Um, I could only take one coach with me to Taiwan. And I wanted to take Bruno because Bruno's me, me like, fucking ride or die. Yeah. But I needed someone to hold pads for me. So I was like, fuck it, Bruno, you can't hold pads. Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> guy. He even told me, like, don't take me, lad. Yeah. I took me Muay Thai coach, Conrado. We've gone over to Taiwan. <clears throat> I've got there. Everyone's going good. Made the way. The fight's on. Lad, you know when you go to these places, bro, it's a setup. You're brought there to lose, lad. Let's be honest, lad. Like, I'm going to basically China to fight the Chinese guy. I know it's not China. It's Taiwan. It's Taiwanese. But it's that same region. Yeah. Lad, I just felt it like... Like, is shit going smooth? He weighs in. I didn't see him weighing. I weigh in. Everyone's there watching. I'm like, wow, this is a bit mad. This it feels like it. But I'm brand new. So I didn't know the little tricks and that. You know what I mean? It's time to walk out. No, you're not going. Yeah, you're going. No, you're not going. Yeah, you're going. You're cold. You're warm. You're... I'm like, what? Walk out happens. This isn't my song. Where's my song? That's, that's the shit they do to you, isn't it, lad? Lad, you know what? For me, that's the biggest mistake you can do to me. Because that just fuels me, lad. I got into the middle of the cage. They made me walk first. I've got into the middle of the cage. And now I'm just angry, lad, thinking, yeah, fuck these. Fuck this guy. I'm going to kill this guy, lad. He's walked out. 
fair play to him. He had the sickest walkout, lad. He's come out with this Chinese mask on, this oh, little yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's crouched down and that. He's doing all, he's covered in tattoos. And lad, I thought, wow, he's just one-upped me there. <laughs> so I thought, what can I do? Yeah, shit, what can I do? I've come to the middle of the ring and I'm just going, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky Lee, Rocky Lee, fuck you, fuck you, fuck Rocky Lee for the whole walkout. And he would not look at me. He was just like, wouldn't make eye contact come in the ring, even when he's in the ring, I'm going, Rocky Lee, fuck you, you little bitch. And he's still like that, just won't look at me. <clears throat> I'm in Taiwan, I'm defo the bad guy, they brought me to lose, the whole crowd hated me, they all booed me, they all cheered him, he was the boy. Fight started, and I've just put it on him straight away, lad. And he was he, he was a brown belt or a black belt in jiu-jitsu, he wrestled in America growing up, he was American really, do you know what I mean? That's how he got to the UFC. And he just held me against the cage, lad, and just fucking nullified me. And it's just tippy-tappy, tippy-tappy. The one thing that played massively in my favour, doing the full camp in Malaysia, where it is 90, 95% humidity, mm. and now coming to sea level in Taiwan, lad, I felt like I had six lungs. Mm. When I got off the plane, I was like, wow, why is the air so fucking fresh? You know, near the end of the first round, he had me against the cage and he was like, and I was just thinking, hold on a minute, I haven't even broke a sweat yet, I'm not even warm yet, he's just held me yet. Looked at the clock, 30 seconds on the clock, I've hip-tossed him, he's come back, I've got the Muay Thai plump, spun him to the cage, shot underneath, there's like 20 seconds on the clock, I've stuffed out to his back, suplexed him, as I've suplexed him, just me and I choked him, body triangled, put him to sleep, lad. Wow. After I put him to sleep, the promoter come into the cage and he was like, I just want to let you know, uh, Rocky Lee is my cousin. I brought you here to lose to him, but congratulations. <laughs> oh, yes, he said that. Yeah, he, he, to be fair to him, lad, he was all right. Uh, he said he'd bring me back, but he never did. Like, <laughs> But I, do you know what it is? I can respect the straight shooter. Uh, and afterwards, he shot straight where he could have just been a cunt and been like, fuck you, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, post yeah, the videos yeah, yeah. on the pay. They never done that. They put the videos up, they give me the words, they that's put big, it on the record, that's big. paid me my money. Yeah, yeah. So I respect a man like that. It's them snide little moves like sending passports that I don't respect all that. You know, you don't have to bring me to win. You can bring me to lose, but just give me the opportunity and give me a fighting chance. And he did that. So respect to him. After that point... I probably had the biggest depression in my life because I, I don't know how to explain this. Maybe you'll understand it. MMA for me, you build it up to be this amazing thing, this big pedestal. When you win, it's going to be this and you're going to make this big money and then you're going to be famous and you'll blow up overnight and then the UFC will come and get you. And after that win, nothing happened. And I come home and I've got no money, just the money that I just made and... I'm speaking to my family back home. The police are kicking my door off every day. The police used to sit outside my mum's house and take pictures. Anyone who walked in the house who was a man, they'd then say that was me on the run. They kicked the door off, arrest my mum, twisted up for aiding a betting a criminal. The door, she'd have no front door on her house. Your door gets kicked off every other fucking week. The landlord evicts you. Now you've got to move house. In a year, she she moved more than 18 times because the police would keep kicking the door off. Then we'd have to get a private one, so now we're paying it, so it's not even through the government. So now I'm fighting to pay my mum's rent. And then they find out that address, they kick the door off. 
when I fought Rocky Lee, no one knows this, but my mum was homeless. She had nowhere to stay. I had no money. I was fighting to go and get her house to pay them. It was hard, lad. Uh, that was the last time in my life as a man I ever cried, bro. Mm. I rolled with Bruno like a week before the fight and he made me roll them for an hour straight, no timer. And afterwards I just broke down crying. And he probably thinks I was crying because he smashed me, because he <laughs> fucking smashed me. But it was the pressure of everything. Yeah. But going into the fight, it, g- it gave me fire as well. It gave me fuel and motivation. Like I couldn't have lost that fight. Mm. There was no way I was losing that fight and going home with half the money because mm. I needed to help her. And I've come back after that, fucking, my mum's going through all this stuff, my little brother's going through the same thing. I haven't seen, like, it's hard having a little brother with no dad, because I feel like I'm his dad sometimes, but like I'm, I'm supposed to be his male role model, my dad's not there. And then I've kind of put him in that situation, I've put them through that, because it was me that went on the run and left them. He's there with no older brother, they're going through all this shit. He's fucking getting harassed by the police every day. And I just felt in a proper shit place, lad. And then I've come back and the gym owner's pulled me aside and being like, because um, you can't ever fight in one championship, lad, but just kicking you out the gym. What? That was it. I've got to leave. And he just kicked me out the gym, lad. And I'm just like, there's no other gym in that country that could facilitate me that was at that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, the yeah. best gym. There's not many other. I'd maybe have to go Thailand or something. Um, I'm, at, I'm like stuck between a rock and a hard place. Even after winning that fight that you just won against a, a, an ex Rocky League. Yeah, lad. Um, so they were, they were. It wasn't Bruno. It wasn't the coaches. It was the gym owner. And he was all about the one FC. Yeah. All, yeah. Because yeah. obviously he's making percentages or whatever it is. Like you never know. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. But he just weren't happy that I went there, lad. So yeah. he was like, "Forget you. You wanted. You're a criminal." He obviously thought I was a burglar as well, lad, because he was yeah. the one who kept asking me to give the stuff. <laughs> I know you didn't do it, but can you give the stuff back? Yeah, yeah lie. Yeah. So then, from, how did you get from, what brought you home? How did that happen? So now I'm at this crossroads in my career. Um, I don't have a gym to train at. I'm stuck. I've been offered a fight in, in Dubai on Probellum, fighting a good opponent with a good record, Egyptian wrestler guy. And I thought, I've got no gym, but I'm going to take this fight because it's a big opportunity. I decided to go to Thailand and do my camping for Phuket Top Team to train for this big fight. And it also, like, being in, you know, when you're just in that isolation camp mode, took my mind off what I was going through there and what was going on back home. I took myself away from Malaysia, went to Thailand, trained for this fight. I went there and got my first knockout. The wrestler shot on me and I need him in the face and just put him out. It was sick. And that's where I met Sid. Sid was cage side. And Sid come up to me after the fight like that was a sick knockout. My name's Sid. Obviously, my uncle knew Sid as well. He introduced me and then, yeah, we yeah, mean Sid just hit it off. And um, Sid was like, lad, if you ever need management, come with me. I can get fights in Europe. You can be a star in Europe. Because I was telling them, like, I'm in Asia, but no one's really fucking with me. I'm like, oh, no, the, the, it's, it's like everything, right? If, when you're in Asia, they want you to be Asian. I know it sounds ridiculous, but if they're an Asian promotion. They want to. It's like America. America want American champion. Yeah. They don't want Brazilian champion. Yeah. They, they want American champion. Yeah. So it's understandable, lad. Yeah, it's the game. It's yeah. the game. It's part of it. So your future really did only lie in Europe. So in my mind now, I'm like, I've already made my mind up. I'm I'm going to Europe. 
because I need to build my career, I need to fight in Europe, I've done everything I can do in Asia, the biggest promotion in Asia don't want me, so what am I just going to be some fucking feeder guy forever? Nah, I'm thinking of now your cage warriors, Bellators, whatever, whatever, wherever I can go, but I knew UFC weren't taking me. So I'm thinking in my head now, where can I go that is Liverpool that I can't get arrested? See, you see that it's Dublin in there? <laughs> so straight away in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Dublin. I'll fucking train with Conor McGregor. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm just going to rock up and just spark Conor McGregor on my first day or something. Um, so, yeah, I made the, made the choice. I was proper. The hardest thing was leaving Bruno. But that choice was made for me. He, he, can't, he can't just quit his job and come with me or train me. He's, he's got to feed his family and I get it. And I also didn't want to like bring him to train with me in secret and jeopardize his job because that guy would have fired him or he would have yeah, done yeah, some yeah. dodgy shit. That guy's do, give him a visa. So I was like, do you know what? I think this is just time. As a, as a man, as you get older, lad, sometimes things just happen. I've done me, I paid my dues there. It's time to move on. And I felt that was the point to move on. And now with him, with Bruno, you're still in contact with Bruno. Yeah, you? yeah, he's still on me shorts when I fight. You'll see them on the oh, octagon yeah, shorts, yeah, lad, yeah. and team brother forever, lad. Bruno's me boy. Lad, I message him all the time and ask him about things. Like, I, 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 lad, every fight I keep telling myself I'm going to go back to Malaysia and train with him because he's got his own gym there now. Ah, okay. And I do want to go back and train with him, but I've just been fighting that actively since I got out of jail, lad. That it's been camp after camp after camp after. So anyway. I've chose to go to Dublin. I've flew out from Malaysia. This is in 2020 now. So I've been on the run for about eight years at this point. It's 2020. I've landed in Dublin. I don't know anyone. I've never been to Ireland. It's my first ever time. All I know is Conor McGregor's gym. I don't know any other gym, but I just know Conor McGregor's killing it in the UFC. I'll go and train there. I'm already good at jiu-jitsu. I, I assume that they'll all be strikers because Connor's a striker. <laughs> so I'll go and learn some good striking and I'll go to a boxing gym, sound, sorted. I've come there, first landed. I've booked a hostel for like two, three months so I could fucking come into the country in straight bum and then I was going to sort accommodation and all that one. Two days later, lockdown happens. Whole country shut down. Every gym shut. I don't know anyone and the hostel's gone. Here's all your money back, get out. Just like whoa, I felt like it was the biggest mistake I'd ever made at that point. Because yeah. I'm like, fuck, I'm fucked up here. But little did I know, in hindsight, it was still a good move because Malaysia's restrictions were much worse. They had military on the streets with guns. You couldn't come out your house. You couldn't go to the supermarket. Suicide rates were like one of the highest over there. Wow. Their lockdown was much longer. They didn't get back training. Now. My good friend, Andros, um, he actually works for Octagon now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Mad. Um, he, um, he linked me up with someone in Dublin, Dave Cowley, which is Keen Cowley's dad. Mm. And he was like, go and stay with them. They'll look after you till you get on your feet. You can train there. They've got a boxing gym. So I just went and stayed with him. And he, he was holding pads for me every day. Things started to open up a bit started going into SBG. Love. <clears throat> it was mad because I knew I was good, but still in the back of your mind, you're like, fuck, UFC guys, Bellator guys. 
I've stepped onto my first day and I'm training with James Gallagher and then man and I'm like what first gone in there and trained with them and I'm just as good as these guys like it just lets you realise like wow you watch the UFC and you put these people on this big pedestal and you train with them and you go wow he's just human you see him in real life and you go wow I thought he'd be seven foot tall he's smaller than me do you know what I mean lad and, and it, it really gave me like another motivation in my career of like I am on the right path. I am doing what I need to be doing in the training. I am going the right direction. And um, everything was going well. Things are starting to open up. I'm training with the pro guys in SBG. And then one day, lad, John's just come on to me and just being like, can you come in the office? I need to speak to you the second mate. He's pulled me in the office and it's that fucking same shit again of mugshot. You want it. Like we just can't have you training here if you wanted, you know, uh, you know, a coach, you know, I've mm. got a year, lad, you give a bad name to the gym if you don't want a criminal, there's police that train in this gym, what happens if paparazzi come in and take a picture of me and you, now I'm harboring fugitives, he was like, I can't have it. Um, I was gutted, lad, I was proper, proper gutted, lad. Um, it hurt me, lad, I, I, like, I don't blame John. I've got a good relationship with John now, no problems with John. Um, John's even invited me back now since, now that everything's clear. I get he had to do what he had to do to protect his brand, to protect his gym. Lad, he's got the biggest MMA fighter in the whole world. He, you can't jeopardise that, I understood that. But I'm so glad that that happened to me because if that never happened to me, I would have never left there and found Dublin Combat Academy, yeah. which is Colin Mahone, Craig Coakley, you see Collie's always in my corner the, yeah, with the ginger beard. Yeah. I never had any striking, but in my mind I thought I could strike then because I'm striking with MMA fighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've gone to their gym, which is a Muay, predominantly a Muay Thai gym, and I'm just getting absolutely punched up by all of them. And then I realise now, like, oh, this is real striking. Throughout my whole life of training martial arts, and I say this to everyone whenever they ask me, I have never met a guy like Craig Coakley in striking. I've been to Thailand. Mm. I've trained with all the, the top Thai guys. I've, I've been on the mats with many a man who were in one championship smashing it. He's something special. Mm. He, he's, he's been signed to one championship now. He just won that Muay Thai Grand Prix mm -hmm. before your man Benden from, um, what's his name? What's your man's name in Leeds? Runs the gym in Leeds. Yeah, from, yeah. from Harrison's gym. Lad, he's just so skilled, lad. He can fight orthodox, he can fight southpaw, he can box, he can kick, he can play the counter. He used to bring boxers in, pro boxers, and just only box with them, punch them up. Yeah. He's a 60 kilo fighter. Some of these were like heavyweights and he'd be punching them up and I'd just be like, wow, he's just so special. And then I'm in that gym every day the first thing I didn't want to happen was to get kicked out again. So when I first come, I've just come straight to Collie and just said, look mate, this is how it is. I'm a wanted criminal, I didn't do the crime, told them my backstory, told them what I had done through my life, the bad stuff, mm -hmm. told them everything. And he just said, look mate, as long as you're not actively committing crime now, I don't mind. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought it to me. But if you show up here every day, you train your ass off and you aren't involved in crime, I'll have you there. Because he said to me, a lot of the members in his gym, 
the gym's in a council estate, like, yeah. a, like a, a, not a council estate, but it's in a, it's in a rougher area. And a lot of the lads in the gym are from council estates. He said, lad, the kids here would more gravitate towards someone like you who's been through it, who's telling them now don't do it, rather than, I don't know, maybe you look at something like, if, if, if Mighty Mouse tells you not to commit crime, lad, you're gonna go, all right, mate. <laughs> But if a criminal who's been through it and now turned his life around, you're going to gravitate towards him more to him because you look at him like, oh, he's like me. He's from where I'm from. And, lad, it's just so mad how much time he put into me. Lad, he, he hold pads for me every single day. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to spar Craig every single day. I'm getting to shadow spar him every day. And me striking just went through the roof, lad. And you know, I was going to say, your next, your last fight was all striking, wasn't it? That, that team that. to the body, yeah. Everyone thinks I'm a grappler, lad. And yeah. I said this in the Jan Malik fight. I'd watched him so much. I know that style so well. I knew I was going to outstrike him. Yeah. I knew for sure I'm too long and I'm too smart. And the maddest thing is, it was Collie who said, you're going to stop him with a teep. And <laughs> backstage, I've got the video footage I'll show you later. Backstage, just got me working teeps. And I'm like, no, let's work a bit. He's like, trust me, lad. Keep teeping. Keep teeping. And in the fight, that's all you there. Teep the body. Teep the body. And when he starts defending Teep, come with the high yeah, kicks. Yeah, Even yeah, you yeah, called that yeah, on the commentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so now I've got another opportunity now to fight for uh, my first professional title. But it was in Belfast. Uh, so I've got the risk of crossing the border uh, into UK territory. Uh, I brought it to Collie. And Collie's like, I'm with you, lad. Whatever you want to do, I'm with you. It was in covid it was locked down, no crowd. My first time fighting with no crowd, well better. Yeah. Well better, lad. It was like, because I obviously took the opportunity and done it. It was like, it was like I was in the gym sparring mm. and I could see every shot and I was just flowing and it was just, I could hear Collie. Collie could just speak like this and I could hear him perfect. Mm. And Collie's the type of guy that if he was in the bleachers, you'd hear him anyway. He's loud, lad. Mm. And lad, I just, I don't know, I just went in there and just, took the guy down, choked him, choked him out in the end, won me first pro title. I was made up to win a title for Collie, yeah. Dublin Combat Academy, their first pro MMA title being a Muay Thai gym. Yeah. And lad, it was like, don't know, then a big buzz just come around me and I'm doing it on Europe now, so it kind of confirms I'm more of a better fighter rather than, when you're watching from afar, you go, yeah, he's doing it in Asia, but he couldn't do it here. Yeah. And now I'm doing it here. It was boss lad, and then I obviously got the chance to defend my title in Belfast again, and this was the risk. Now, the first time I won the title, I didn't, I, I didn't mention it, I didn't post about it, I just went and done it and come back. After that won, putting it all over it, social yeah, yeah. media, all the comments underneath lad are all like, he's a burglar, he's a scumbag, someone needs to get him arrested. Lad, I've took the risk to go back and defend the belt, haven't I? I hadn't seen my mum for eight, nine years at this point, ten years coming close to, and this was the first time my mum was going to come to me fight. Lad, I'm thinking, wow, yeah, I'm going to get to see my mum, my little brother's going to be there, she can see all the work I've put in, yeah. she's going to watch me first fight, it's going to be boss. Lad, for this fight, Collie couldn't make it, he was abroad. So I didn't get to go with Collie. Um, I've gone down there. I fought someone from SPG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've gone down there, lad. 
we're driving down there and there was like all police like roadblocks doing stopping every car coming into the so I've shit myself jumped out the car and ran through some farm jumping all fences to get into the arena and I've come in on foot um, I've covered in mud and then I've had to get changed and one getting ready for me fight um, this is the first time I've ever fought in front of me mum fucking not only did I lose I got knocked out and me ma was there. Wow. I, like, I, I still say it was it was an early stoppage. I was still conscious. I was still trying to wrestle on him, but he, he beat me, lad, do you know what I mean? Uh, it's the game, it is what it is. Took me first ever loss as a professional. Um, and then got nicked afterwards. <laughs> what a weekend, what a weekend. Yeah. So they were, they were waiting for you there. They just swarmed on me, lad. Cheeky bastards called me Shikwimi. Shikwimi, don't move. And all just fucking come and got me, lad. Swooped on me. I got nicked. Matrix come. Merseyside police. Arrested me. Put me on the back of the plane. With all, I'm on the back of the plane, handcuffed with all civilians and that. Everyone was staring at me. It was wow. weird. Um, I remember I'm kicking the chair in front of me, this Asian fella, and I'm like, lad, take a picture of me and tag me on Instagram. Because I would have got my little brother to be shared to show everyone yeah. I've been arrested. And the guy's like, the police are like, don't you dare. You know, you never shit them, son. I was fuming. I was fuming. It would have been a sick picture to have now, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I got arrested, took me straight to Walton. Um, the jails were still locked down at this point. Um, I'm in Walton Jail, banged up for 23 hours and 30 minutes every day, so you get half an hour out your cell, and it was the shittest experience in my life, bro. But one thing it did kind of put into me is to stay disciplined. There was points where it was like, because uh, every other prisoner on the wing lab, they're staying up till 3, 4 in the morning, they're all shouting out the windows, they're all on their iPhones at night, and I could have fell into that little trap and just been smoking major weed and because it's jail lad, there's nothing to do, bro. It's depressing. Sitting just in your pad watching TV. I told myself because I don't I don't watch TV. It just just doesn't entertain me. I'd rather look at the wall. I told myself I'm not gonna watch TV. I'm not gonna stay up late at night. All I done every single day was pad workouts. I'd me I had me radio. I'd have me radio on, <clears throat> and I just shadow box. Every day, just do loads of shadow boxing, and what I used to do in myself to occupy myself, because when you shadow box after a while, it gets boring, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd try and emulate styles of the people that used to beat me up in the gym. So I'd go, okay, I'm Craig Coakley, I'm switching stances, I'm Dennis, I'm teeping, and I'd use their best weapons, what they always use well in fights, or what they use against me, and it was mad that I'd done that every single day for six months and when I come out of jail I found it easier fighting from both stances because I was mimicking Craig because he fights from both stances I was working I lad, it, was, it was weird lad things that I that they were using on me when now when I come back to sparring after coming out of jail it was like oh I understand why he does that now because when I'm self and I'm doing this that weapon's on because now I'm trying to use it and, and, and I, it was mad lad but yeah, jail was no fun place. It was no place I'd recommend to anyone. But I'm so fortunate, lad, that obviously I fought the case and I got a not guilty. Um, I done six months on demand, took it to trial. The witness showed up after 10 years and gave evidence against me. And 
at the end of the case when they sent me down to the docks and the jury go and make the verdict I'm sitting in the cells at the bottom the courts closed in half an hour mm. they were like lad you're going to be coming back tomorrow you verdicts take hours and hours and hours they call me back up in 20 minutes and give me a not guilty <laughs> that's how quick they done the decision where he's been 10 years without looking at the case docs he forgot the lies that he'd said in his own wow. and, and he come into court and said different shit and me barrister just ripped them apart he doesn't get penalty for that in any way no no not a thing it's insane he it? completely changed your life for 10 years makes you go on the run makes you all these things and because he's lying to court and then he got a escort from the police they put him behind the curtain so i couldn't see his face he's in fear for his life he was saying all that shit like we, we were going to shoot him and lad he was a fucking weird guy bro but this is why i got so much love for sid because through all of this sid stood by me sid sorted all my legal stuff helped me financially stayed in touch with my family did he need anything was sorting everything when i come out of jail bro everyone wanted to know me mm. oh the story mm. oh do you want to sign to us do you want to be with us mm. you know when i was in jail bro I first went to jail, maybe I had like 13, 15,000 followers on Instagram. Mm. When I got out, I had 7,000 followers, bro. Oh, I was really? only in jail for six months, bro. And I, I bought a phone on the wing and said to me, Padmate, because my Padmate's a civilian, lad, you know what I mean? I said, lad, wait till you see my Insta, bro. It's popping. I get hundreds of messages. I'm bragging to him, lad. I bought an iPhone on the wing, got went on my Insta and went, refresh. Wait, <sighs> me messages? Refresh, refresh, refresh. Bro, everyone just forgets about you, bro. No one cares about you. But I needed that to let me know who was real in my life. And I know now, for sure, going through that point in my life, who was fake. There was a lot of people now, who now afterwards, oh, sorry while you were in jail, I didn't write you, lad. Sorry I didn't send you no money. Sorry I didn't go and see your mum. Sorry I didn't ask about you. Oh, I was busy. That was only six months. But you see the real ones, lad, were on me every day. You sure you're all right, lad? Do you need anything? Are you having any trouble in jail? Is anyone giving you any grief? Do you need anything done on the outs? Bump, bump, bump. They're the people who are real, lad, who have stuck with me and I'll stick by them forever. And that's why I said that I've got time for him, lad, because he helped me a lot. Maybe without the legal team, lad, maybe I wouldn't have gone not guilty. Maybe I would have had some off-duty-free uh, solicitor, lad, and I would have fucking, yeah, whatever, we'll just take the deal. Because I was offered a deal. Mm. Because my co-defendant pled guilty 10 years prior, they offered him five years to plead guilty. They offered him a deal. Oh, your cousin? Yeah. yeah. Because my co-defendant pled guilty, they had to offer me the same, the same deal. deal. 10 years later, when I've come to court, the judge was going mad. He was like, five years? People who do these crimes should be getting 15 years. And I'm like, what? Because the law, the 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 the, 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 like, the law system's changed. I don't think they would have offered that same deal today. Mm. But because it was 10 years earlier, they had to offer me the That's deal. Stay by it. When, yeah. I'm on, when I'm on that day in court, <clears throat> I got locked in a cell before the court with two other lads. I, I asked the screw to put me in with them because they were two other scouts. Was shit sitting by yourself when you mm. go to court. Like, you're just overthinking. These were two lads on a murder case, lad. They were only 18, 17, and I'm there stressing. And then when I told them, they're like, lad, we're looking at like 25, 18 years, us. Maddest thing, they didn't even do it. Obviously, really? they were associated with the gang and whatever, but they didn't do it. And lad, I told them the whole case. 
because they were saying all the the proper jail lads. They were saying all shit lingo, and they were like, "Yeah, this will happen." Then they'll offer you this and that. And when I'm going up and down, what they were saying was half happening. Yeah. So then I'm I'm asking them, <laughs> and lad, he goes to me, "You need to take the deal, you know, mate." He was like, "You need to take the five years." In my mind, if I took the deal or didn't take the deal, and I got found guilty, my MMA career was over. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm fighting it no matter what. Mm. One, I didn't do it. And two, I'm thinking about only my career. Mm. I do not want to lose my career. I love what I do. But he was like, lad, you need to take the deal, you know, mate. Bro, no way the I pressed the buzzer and I told the guard to go and get me solicitor to come back and I was going to take the deal, bro. I was that close to taking the deal because of four, five years. I'm looking at 11 years if I get found guilty. Five years, I'll do half. Maybe I'll get out on a cat day after two years and get yeah, home and yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. It's not that bad. What, 11 years, lad, for the crime I never committed? I'm shitting myself. Lad, you know, as they called me to go and see me barrister, he went, but lad, if you take the deal, you'll never know. And I just went, <laughs> tell her to go away. Yeah. Tell her to go away. And I come back in and sat down. And I just thought, yeah, fuck that. I, I, I'll be getting out after five years. Maybe 30 years later, maybe 40 years later, and I'll be sitting there going, wonder what would have happened if I would have just fought that case. Lad, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not a wonder, uh, what if. I've never been a what if guy. I've been a fuck it, let's do it. Let's just jump, let's just go. That was what I was when I went on the run. And that was the same guy when I come back. That's what I was when I started fighting. Let's just do it, let's go for it. So I just, fuck it. I said, we're fighting it, lad. And... It was the best decision I ever made, obviously, like, because I got the not guilty. I come out of jail and I was straight back in the gym on the Monday, lad. Straight back training. I puked everywhere. Oh, first day back. Puked everywhere. Got battered. <laughs> but I was, lad, I was getting battered with a smile on my face. The coaches must have been thinking, he's fucking mad, in, lad. I was running to the toilet, puking, and then coming back on the mat to spa. But, lad, it was just so happy to see my mum after 10 years. My auntie who helped me so much with the court case, or my cousins, my brother, like watching my brother when I left, he was a he was a child, to now seeing him, he's a fucking twenty year old man, big bigger than me, ninety yeah. key, like yeah. fucking hell, that kid. My little brother now trains with me, does all all my camps with me, does all my strength and conditioning with me, everything I does, everything I do, he does it with me, and now he started training and he's got an aspiration now to become an MMA fighter. Way before he just used to work in opticians and was just a, a pothead lad. So I feel like now I'm here with them, I'm getting to better the lives lad. And obviously now I'm on a big promotion, fighting fucking it's one of the best shows in Europe, in my opinion, the best show in Europe, making good money lad. And better than my old family's life and my old family are all proud of me lad. It's it's a big turnaround from where I've come from. And not only that lad, it's. I don't think people understand what scouts are just different, bro. Like, if I walk through Liverpool, lad, it's, it, the love I get, bro, is, yeah. lad, it's crazy, bro. The love, it, see that show last night? That's what I was saying from the start. You know, if that was in Liverpool, lad, I promise you it would have been full. I promise yeah, you. With Octagon, obviously, I said, you find you. Like, I never knew. I knew a bit of the story, but I never knew the whole yeah. TV shows in Asia, the Rich Franklin stuff. And, like, the one, I never knew one championship was the goal. That's what you wanted to do, and that's where you wanted to be. And now you come back to Europe and you understand you've got to make it on this stage. Like, for me, you said it, Octagon is by far the biggest show in Europe. Like, by far. I've been, a, I've been with them a couple of years now. They're selling out arenas all over Europe now, including Germany and obviously Czech Republic and Slovakia. Now they just come to the UK and it will build from there as well. Yeah. But they're, 
the reason for me I think Octagon's so special is because of the people behind it. And again, most people that get in or used to get into MMA were like drug dealers that liked a bit of fighting. I'll put on an MMA show. I've got a bit of money. They do, you know, they, they, they didn't. They weren't professionals that wanted to get involved. And we had so many of these events pop up, and they might be cleaning money or doing whatever. And then they then disappear. You, yeah, and then they disappear. They do yeah. three events. They get the high of putting on an event and being the big man, and they disappear. Um, and obviously we've got the stand still the stand ones like cage warriors and all that sort of stuff and we can go into where their money comes from but I probably shouldn't put that on the internet and, um, and then we go then we find Pavel and Andre and Pavel comes from a production background has a production company high end all that sort of stuff so understands the TV industry understands like production value which is what I think we've missed in Europe like, even like talk about cage warriors great event and looks good on UFC fight pass but when you come to like the, the high level production value it's nothing and we well, had it we bammer a little bit. Why, why does no fighter speak on the mic after a cage warriors fight? You know how much that does my head in that. <laughs> I'm watching sick, sick fight and I go, oh, I wonder what he's going to say afterwards. Next fight. Because they're just racking them out because they yeah. just see it like, like it's almost, uh, yeah, they're not a show, it's a sport to them. Yeah. It's fine. But then Andre comes along. Uh, so Pavel comes along. I don't know if you know how Octagon started, but the idea was it was a TV show. So they started with Octagon Challenge. So Pavel come in who's like I want to make a TV show about fire sports they made Octagon Challenge which we just had you've just been a part of the UK yeah, one right yeah. so that for that was the first thing with it and they kind of hired Andre because Andre was the face because he's like the celebrity in the Czech Republic and, they, and he he was a commentator on all of the fire sports in, you know he was traveling for all the boxing for everything and in Czech and then he got involved and was the face they did this whole big TV show and they had this big event at the end of it like we've just had and then Pavel was like proud, made the series, great. And Andre was like, well, when's the next one? He's like, no, 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 I just wanted to make a TV show. He's like, no, when's the next event? We've got to have another event. He's like, no, no, no. And, he was, but, and Andre was the one that pushed them to start yeah, putting, making cool. events. And now, so now they come from a very professional place where they're like TV producers, celebrities, it's a very different thing, right? And they really think about telling the stories, the story you've got, and, and not just, it's not all about just the fight. And then we do the stage to the cage, we just have all that stuff. So for me, I think that's why Octagon, I mean, I'm heavily invested. Obviously, I commentate for the show. I have seen tens of thousands of events over the last 17 years I've been involved in MMA. And there is not an event on the planet like Octagon. Even when it comes to UFC now, the UFC is like, I think the UFC, when I was in the UFC 10 years ago, was like what Octagon's like now. Mm. Close-knit family of people, people super passionate about the sport. It didn't become this big company. UFC is now every week. Boom, boom, commercialized, boom. isn't it? It's commercialized. Yeah. So it's become a big company thing. So I think Octagon have got something super special where even the guy that mops the floor, I don't know if he's, his Instagram is like Octagon Mop G or something. And he, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he loves his job, like loves it. Everyone loves to be a part of this thing because it's, it's a real special you know, moment. And I think that's because of the owners and, and everything else. So I think it's by far the biggest event we've got. And I think having you a part of it is great. But then we come down to what happened at the weekend. Obviously, we we were like, it's Monday today or Sunday today. When it was Sunday, isn't it? The event yeah, was yesterday. Sunday, Sunday was today. Yesterday. The event was yesterday. You were supposed to fight on it, and you had. We just heard your amazing story about a hate the police and all the things that happened to you. And them kicking your mum's door down, all this yeah. crap. And they again, they they highlight that. They see that, and they put you up against the policeman, right? Which comes along because you who? How did that start? That rivalry. So, for those who don't know. Yada, the Garda, Pocorni, the little sausage. He was supposed to fight me in Prague. When I fought Jan Malik, I was supposed to fight Pocorni. 
Corny sat with the contract for two, three weeks. He was talking shit online. He was speaking in all the Czech media about me and the Slovakian media. They were all publishing mad fucking posts about me and I'm getting people to translate them so I can see him slagging me. And then it was weird. He just was like, nah, I'm not fighting him. Jan Malik stepped in. Four weeks later, we fought. And then obviously that's when I got on the mic and called them out because I was like, you can't speak about me but refuse to fight me. If you don't want to fight me, just don't speak about me then. It's, it's all good. I'll move on from you. So then, I don't know, maybe he wanted to have a longer camp to prepare for me. Maybe he wanted more money. I, I can't tell you that side. But then obviously Manchester's come around and he said, yeah, I will fight him. And obviously, as everyone's seen, he shit his pants on fight day, lad. Well, I think... I get more into it. You can say that he did that, and that's fine. But if anyone who maybe didn't see it at the weekend, Octagon Manchester, uh, Octagon Forty Eight, you guys were supposed to fight. All this build-up come around, like the criminal versus the policeman, all this stuff, like beautifully done, a lot of promotion. You guys were going to head up the undercard. It was going to be a big, big thing. And then at the weigh-ins, you guys come together and you kick him right with yeah. all. Like he goes to hit you and you kick him. Yeah. And now he's saying. And the doctors say, and it's been checked multiple times, that there's something wrong with his rib or his stomach or whatever. So the fight got cancelled. Yeah. So it's like, we can say he pushed it out. We can say he didn't want to do it. However you want to put it. They're saying that the action of you kicking him <clears throat> at the weigh-ins is the real... Because it, was, it wasn't even the show weigh-ins. It was the actual weigh-ins, right? This is like, the craziest thing. I've never done a face-off dehydrated. Yeah, That's yeah. the first time ever in my career. I was like, are these going to face us off? Why were they dehydrated? I'm thinking, whatever he hits me, I'll probably die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about seven kilos dry just sitting there like, oh my God. But um, yeah, we faced off. And I said it, I said, don't let him just, I don't mind getting close, but just don't let him touch me. Because if he touches me, we're going to fight. Lad, you know it yourself, when you come so close to the fight, you're a day out from the fight, you're just in kill mode. Mm. You're ready to kill your opponents. It's kill or be killed. I don't know, we come close and he, he, he hits me, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking like survival instinct mode, so I'm saying, I don't mind coming close and doing the face off, but if he touches me, I'm going to defend myself, and that's just how I am, lad. I said that to Pavel as soon as we faced off, if you watch, he comes head to head with me, and I push him away, and then he comes again, and like headbutts me, I push them again, and now I've got my guard up, and if you look at his lead hand, he goes to throw a punch, and as he extends his arm, I just left kicked them and let me tell you if you've seen the fight before this I'm an expert at finding livers <laughs> I hit him right on the liver yeah. I know I hit him on the liver I felt it with my shin it was, it was all liver yeah. if you see my first fight in Octagon when I fought Lima yeah, yeah. I dislocated my ribs for that fight bro yeah. I was bed bound for six weeks for two weeks of the camp after six weeks in bed I trained and even then I couldn't train properly you know when you get hit on your ribs and your ribs are dislocated or fractured, you drop like a sack of shit. Mm. I was on the floor, keeled over for half an hour, like, ah, get, a, get an ambulance. Ah, ah, ah. I couldn't walk around after it happened. I couldn't sit up. I was bed bound for six weeks. I promise you that on my life. The only reason I fought Lima, because I didn't want to let no one down. I wanted to come Octagon, my debut, show them I'm a company man, get a win, make the big fucking hype live up to all the shit that I'd been fucking talking. Yeah. Can't pull out after talking shit, lad. Yeah. If I'm at the weigh-in and you kick me and I'm hurt, I'm still trying to fight you there and then. And I'm coming fight night 
and I'm trying to take your head off fight night. And then when we get back to the hotel, I'm trying to kill you in the hotel as well. Like, that's just the fight in me. I feel like, I feel like, was he hurt? Maybe he was, because he was dehydrated, lad. Should I have done it? No, I shouldn't have. I know that, because it's cost me my fight, and it's detrimental to my career. But he could have fought. I know he could have fought, because he was walking afterwards. Lad, when I dislocated my ribs, I could not walk. I promise you that. Mm. He was able to step in that cage. Would it have compromised his performance by 5%, 2%, 1%, maybe? But it doesn't matter if he was 100%. I was killing him anyway. I think he's just seen a little avenue where he can get out and not getting his head punched in in Manchester in front of all my fans because he would have got terrorised by the fans. That's a fact. And he just thought, fuck it. I'm going you, on. You say about being terrorised by the fans, I think because he didn't fight, he got terrorised heavily, like heavy, heavy So did I. Yeah, I mean... On, on social media. Yeah, I, I think for him, you know, I've heard stories that at him and his, uh, he's got like a girlfriend who's pregnant, they were at the arena and they got like attacked. By they like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know if you know about <laughs> that. Like, like apparently your friends, oh, your my. family, they were on them like, well, you know, and then... Not my family, because my family would have told me my family never yeah, attacked yeah, them. Yeah. Okay, well, I've like, because apparently the, his girl is like in fear, like left the arena. Really? Like, See, I, I don't condone no, no one attacking no woman, no one attacking no pregnant woman, no one attacking his his wife. I don't condone any of that. But this is the first I've even heard of this. Yeah, yeah, I didn't so even know about this. Because it was because I said to Andre like, so what's gonna happen? Where's the fight gonna be? We're we gonna see that fight, or are you gonna move on for here? What's gonna happen to Shem? Because obviously. He said to me at one point, uh, first, even you see it, the weigh-ins, when it all kicks off, there's no one there. There's no one stopping you. So it's, I think it's just Pavel. Like, Andre's massive. He should be in the middle because yeah. he just go, <laughs> yeah. move. Yeah, exactly. Or something like, I'm, I'm there. I could have just stepped in. But yeah. it was like, uh, they, they're a bit, I think they said Pavel Tosh, who's the, the ref, but he, he did whatever. Like, it wasn't controlled very, very quickly. So I think moving forward, they should look at that as well. Letting two people come together. As, uh, they do at the show weigh-ins. But the dehydrated Wayans, they've just never had it before. Yeah. So he was like, okay, now the first time someone's had to pull out of a fight because of an incident that's happened at a weigh-in, what do I do? You know, and um, how is he going to deal with it? And obviously he's made his decisions or whatever, financially you've not been paid for the fight and all that sort of stuff. So you've, you've put, gone into camp, you've cut weight, you've made weight, and you've still not been paid, which is like the punishment for whatever's happened. However you blame it on anyone. But if like in the UFC, if you make weight, normally that means you, you get your show money at least or whatever. So that's the decision that he took. But then I was like, okay, so now is the fight going to, when's the fight going to happen? It's going to happen in December. We're going to do it in Newcastle, whatever. Um, and he was like, well, I heard that Pocorny's family got terrorized by the fans. I don't, and he, he doesn't know. It's not my fault on. though. I can't yeah. control the fans. Mm. If someone goes and punches someone out there, like, I can't be blamed for that. Do you know what I mean? I can be blamed for kicking them, but he has to take his part as well. He, he threw the first punch. He touched me first. Lad, I'm a fighter. I'm going to protect myself, lad. It's, 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 it's bred in me. And if it wasn't bred in me, I'd be a shit fighter, lad. <laughs> but the thing that just hurts me, lad, is that I do this to feed my family, lad. I've spent a lot of money to make it to this point. I, I, I do physio twice a week, £50 a session. I lift weights with a one-on-one -on -one PT coach, £30 a session three times a week. Me, I didn't get to give me gym there, 10%, and they've just spent 12 weeks of putting me through a camp, me paying me rent, paying me, I look after me whole family. I've got people relying on me, lad, and I've got to the end of the fight. The money that I would have made would have just went back out the door. 
I'm here owing bills out that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I don't get to fight. That's a hard life. People think being a fighter, you're a millionaire, lad. You're, we're not footballers, lad. We're on our ass, lad, you know what I mean? And I'm just gutted, lad, that obviously the most important thing is getting the win and getting the win on my record and obviously building my career. But the money goes a long way, lad. I, I feel like it would have been nice to get something to go home with and fucking, yeah, mum, lad, rent's paid. I can still keep lifting. I can still sort my physio still. Because now I've got to do a whole nother camp for my next fight with the money that I haven't got off my last fight. Normally, like, your last fight gets you through your neck to your mm-hmm. next one, do you know what I mean? So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, lad, but... What can I do? Because for you, what's the... You still want the Pagorni fight. That's the fight you're after. You When do you want it? You, would you, I mean, do you know where you're at? I know, like, discussion to be had, but for you yeah. personally, all of this shit that's gone on and how this fight has gone and how it's impacted you, and again, like the whole police thing and everything, what would you, what would be your dream outcome now sitting here today? For me, this is only going to put fuel to the fire and make the fight bigger and make the hype even more. People want to see that fight so much, lad, a police officer versus a former criminal. Mm. It is a massive fight and it was probably the biggest fight on the card. It, it probably could have headlined that card, let's be, let's be honest, lad. Um, but I'm just stuck in that position of this will be my third time now fighting him. What if he doesn't show up, lad? What if he gets injured? What mm-hmm. if he pulls out on the day before the fight? Or what if I have a change of opponent a week before the fight? Like, I, if I do a full camp for someone, I want to fight that man. A completely different change of opponents is a completely different style to prepare for. I don't want to be put in a position to go, do you know what? I'm not fighting on two weeks' notice against this other dangerous guy or he's an orthodox and he's a southpaw and I've just brought, I've just flew in three southpaws to train with for 12 weeks. It, it, it puts me in that type of predicament where I need security to know that he's going to show up. I need to know that no matter what, he's going to step in that cage and fight me, lad. And I just don't know if I'm going to get that from him. Do I want to fight him? Fucking right, I want to punch a police officer in the face, lad. Uh, lad, ring him up now and get him in the back garden. I'll have him straightened in the back garden for free. I want to fight him, lad, more than anything. But I've got to think about my career and my family and feeding and putting bills on the table and whatever, whatever, lad. It's, it's, it's a hard thing, but this is a conversation for me management. Of course. And the bosses. But for you, when, when, like you said, you're fresh, gone through 12 week camp. What? I know how it is when you lose a fight like that. So when would you want to be up next? Soon? Well, Whether to take time off or how would you do it? I know there's Prague in the game changes Prague in December. Yeah. And I know that would obviously suit the promotion. There's the fucking big show, big crowd. But people have also got to put into account that I've, I've done five weight cuts to 70 kilo in a year. That's a lot on your body, lad. I'm 83, 84 kilos sitting here now. And I was 70 on Friday, lad. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So to make 70 again now in a few weeks, how detrimental is that to me brain health, to me organs, do I miss weight? If they want me to go again, I'll go again, but it'd have to be a catch weight, lad. Because I said to myself and my team and me nutritionist and me strength and conditioning coach, after this fight, I'm going to take a few months to let my body recover from all the wear and tear and the weight cuts, and then we'll go again in February or March. But I'm I'm after put in a position where I have to fight this man, like or I have to fight and make some money. I I have to I have to eat, lad. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I I think a catch weight would be would be perfect. If if you want to give me a catch weight with him, I don't know seventy five, seventy seven. I'm just not gonna cut any weight. I'll just show up how I am now. 
Like obviously, I'm 83 a bit bloated than that. You know what I mean? If, if I got back to the gym and that, I'd probably drop down to 77 and I'd be, I'd be there about. And he's probably about that anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were, if you agree to fight each other out of weight and it's only in four weeks, he's not. There's not going to be any. No, there's no advantage for anyone. Yeah. Let's be honest. Weight cuts don't make any sense in MMA. Yeah. It's fucking ludicrous. Yeah. Let's just. I'm happy to go step on the scale, step in the cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to do that, lad. No problem. I'd actually prefer that because I believe in health and wellness. I believe in protecting the brain health. We're getting punched in the head every day as it is. Why do we want to get punched when we're dehydrated? But it's part of the sport, so I do it. I'm a professional, lad. But I also need to think about my career and my health. I've done five in a year, lad. To yeah. so now do six, especially like the six, one, two, three, four weeks after my last yeah. one. I don't want to show up and not make weight, lad. It's just not good for you, lad. But then you think you think your future would still be at that weight, or you think you'd ever move no, up? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, you just I, want the break. I, I can even make featherweight. Like, yeah. let's be honest, me and Pocornia are featherweights. Mm. The difference is, when I start my camp for 12 weeks, I spend 12 weeks on my camp bulking to get as big as I possibly yeah. can. And in the last week and a half, I bring it down. If I'm making featherweight, I start my cut for the last six weeks. Yeah. I can do featherweight. Do you know why I don't do featherweight no more? Because I care so much about my health, lad. Mm. I don't want my mum to see me so fucking weak and frail and she cries and she doesn't like it and it's sad for my family and I'm thinking about my own health as well. And I'm getting older now, lad. I'm 30 today. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to say. I 30, to 30. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 30. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's a good way, way to end up. Like, I forgot. I forgot about that. It's your birthday and I appreciate that. It's a shame. You didn't get a birthday gift that you wanted of uh, you're peeing up a cop and enjoying that that process. I mean, me personally, obviously heavily involved in the promotion. I would like to see that happen at some point, maybe in December. But the Prague cards are probably already done. Big a big card, but we'll, we'll see what they can do with it. The other thing with Prague is you miss Christmas. I don't even celebrate no holidays. I'm oh, okay. I'm in the gym, Christmas, New Year. Hanukkah, Ramadan, Kwanzaa. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, this is my life, bro. There, there you go. So they, 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 that's not going to affect you. Then it might be perfect for you in Prague. I'll be in Prague. I'm sure uh, people that see this, they'll want to be there as well. So um, really appreciate the time. Like I said, on your birthday, I know you wanted to have a good day with your girl and do, do all that sort of stuff. So hopefully you can still do that. And um, and yeah, like, let's just finish off. You can let everyone know how they can find you, where they can. Obviously, you've, they've heard your stories. So if they want to get more involved, where they can follow. Make sure you all hit me up on the Instagram at Shemrock BJJ. I'm on the Twitter, TikTok, all of that at Shemrock MMA, and check me out on YouTube as well, Shemrock BJJ. Well, before we go, what was the question? Up? No, 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 it wasn't the question. That was the, the, it was Andre was bringing up the fact that Pagani's uh, missus got attacked oh, basically by your fans, yeah, yeah, yeah. or by like he, I, I can. I'll tell you afterwards what, what yeah. exactly it was, I'll show you. But he said that. So he, he was like, he said, well, ask him about how he feels um, he should be treated with his family and his fans attacking this girl, pregnant girl and she's crying at the airport and all this sort of stuff. It's a bit of a mad one, lad, that the, someone attacked his, his bed, but I, I can't be held accountable for that. Like, it weren't my family. Yeah. Someone in my family, I see my family at the event yeah. and they all had Shamrock t-shirts on, like... You'd know it was them, um, and none of them mentioned it to me. And I give every single one of them open spoke to them all for an hour or two. Like no one mentioned this, so it was definitely a, a member of my family. Could it have been a Shamrock fan? Yeah, but not every fan in there was a Shamrock only fan. They could have also been a George Staines fan. Mm. Is George Staines to blame as well? Like I, I, I don't know. I, I 
don't condone it. I, I, I don't condone anyone putting their hands on a civilian, on a woman, on a pregnant woman especially. But if that's happened, lad, I'm, I'm sorry. What well, can I say? It's a mad sport, and but emotions were definitely high over this weekend with what happened during the fight and obviously at the fights and all that sort of stuff. So we'll find out the answer to it. Hopefully we see that fight soon. Again, appreciate all the time. Happy birthday, mate, and yes, uh, we'll lad. catch up soon. Nice Matt, if you made it this far, it's been a long one. It's probably been my longest <laughs> one ever. Uh, appreciate it. Like below, you can subscribe to the channel. We drop a podcast every Thursday. Uh, I put the direct to cameras on a Monday and we do plenty of lives as well. So I appreciate you watching the content. And comment below what you thought. Crazy story from Shem. And appreciate you guys. See you soon. Boom.